Good evening, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from... Oh, what's that? Non-stop, too many shows show. Free Domain Radio. Hope you're doing well. Oh, my friends, it is December the 18th. Do you know what that means? Four years and 364 days ago, my boo, my baby angel cakelets, my sweet ovens, Isabella von Baby Cakes, doth come out from her mother. <laughs> what was the line I used? Like, Gollum pushing his way out from between two pieces of liver. And uh, she's going to be five tomorrow. And she is uh, quite excited because she really understands orbits and age. Uh, although, as she puts it, I am quite ambivalent about turning five, Daddy. I like to be small. and But I also want to get bigger. So I think that's great. She's such a... She's such a little Jane Austen character, you know. She's saying to some adult the other day, in my experience, <laughs> it is such and such a way, or such and such a thing. And uh, it is, uh, it's an amazing, amazing experience. Uh, and uh, I highly recommend it. If, it, if you are so inclined, uh, fatherhood is uh, really, really magnificent, incredibly humbling. And I was trying to explain to her, I did a show with Lawrence Reed today where we talked about the welfare state. And she, of course, wants to know, tell me about the show, Daddy. Tell me from the very beginning. Tell me the very first thing and then the next thing. Oh, like in sequence. I got it. And uh, trying to explain the welfare state to her and uh, pointing out that some children cry because they're upset. And then we try to make them feel better. And some children cry to get what they want. (laughs) And she shot me that knowing look, which says, I have sampled from either side of that platter, but I'm not going to tell you when or how. So, yeah, I can't believe it. She is going to be the big five. And that really is quite something to me. It really doesn't feel like it's flown by. You know, a lot of people say, oh, the childhood flies by. And I think that's because, like, if you only see every 15th minute of a movie, a movie seems very quick. If you cut out... Most of the frames of a movie, the movie seems very quick. So I think for people, childhood flies by if they're mostly at work when it is going on. But uh, it feels just right for me. It's like just when I'm tired of the phase, the phase doth end. And that is, uh, I guess, kind of how it's supposed to be. So anyway, happy almost birthday to my bootcakes. Thank you so much for being in my life. You are just a joy, a treat, and a treasure. And I really, really am honored to be your father, and I hope that I continue to do a job that is to Her Majesty's satisfaction. All right, I know we have quite a few callers today. Who's on first? Jeremy, you're up first today. Go ahead. Uh, how, how are you doing tonight? I'm well. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Um, my question is regarding my future. Um, recently, I acquired a, an AS degree just from a junior college and I wanted to be a police officer. But then I tuned de- into your show and learned all... I'm sorry? A what degree? An AS degree. Associated in science. It's, it's a junior college Associate degree. Associated in science. Okay, I, I, I didn't know what it was, so I just wanted to be clear. And you <laughs> were going to become a cop? Yes, that's what I... I really wanted to uh, help people and enforce laws, but after turning into your show... I, a, a switch flipped, and I realized that's not what I want to do. I want to help people, not throw them in a cage to rot for doing the, quote, wrong thing. Wow, that's uh, 
that's an amazing revelation. I, I certainly appreciate that the show may have had a hand in that. And what now, <laughs> I guess, Jeremy, what now? I'm dealing with social pressure from everyone. Everyone just wants me to just be a cog in some machine and work work for the government, be a cop, do, do what I wanted to do. I, I honestly don't know what my life's calling is. I'm so confused at this point. I, I'm so terrified of the world and what, what tomorrow holds is nothing seems to be getting better anywhere. Do you have so any you advice? said life's calling. What is my life's calling? That's a, challenging, that's, a, that's a challenging way to put it, right? Because it's almost like you're some fish. You're like some carp swimming in a stream and life is putting down hooks and like – which calling is going to catch me? It's kind of passive, if that makes any sense. Of course. And if you are not going to go with the current, then you need some strong swimming arms, right? And so it, it, the mm -hmm. moment that you say to yourself, I'm not going into a conveyor belt, I'm not going to be just another brick in the wall, another link in the chain, another caboose on the choo-choo train of life, then, then you've got to start swimming like hell. You've got to start being very active and, and very much in pursuit of what it is that you want. Does, does that make any sense? Yes, it does. I know it doesn't help because, <laughs> you know, okay, <laughs> strong swimming arms, but where the hell am I supposed to go? So I know it doesn't help that much, but I just wanted to point out life's calling. Life doesn't call you, right? There is no life out there to call you. You know, they used to say that about the priesthood, you know, I had a calling. Mm -hmm. I was called up, you know. Many are called, few are chosen, bloody, bloody, blah, blah, you know. God picks people and elevates them to whatever, or, you know, there's some, God has a plan for you and all that. I mean, that's, they're, 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 life does not call you. Life couldn't give a shit whether you live or die. Life couldn't give a shit whether you are happy or sad. Life couldn't give a shit whether you achieve your bliss or you don't, right? So uh, you really have to strap on the old jetpack of willpower and find what it is that you want to do. So uh, let me ask you this. Is your problem that you don't have any idea what to do or that you don't have any idea how to make money doing what you want to do? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, uh, one more time. Let, me ask, let me ask it another way. Let me ask it another way. If you won the lottery tomorrow, what would you do for your life's work? I would find people that need the money and try to distribute to them as best I could. So you would set up a charity, is that right? Yeah, that's that sounds pretty fun, actually. And why? Uh, so if 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 that's your idea or your goal, how are you competent to do that? Because charity is a really really tough thing. Like you want to help people, but. Mm -hmm. You know, charity is like morphine. You know, it's great if you need it, but it's highly addictive to a lot of people, right? And so how oh, yeah. is it that you would be competent in making sure that you were helping people and not enabling bad behaviors, right? Uh, um, I don't know, actually. Because everybody would come to you. Sorry to interrupt. Everybody would come to you, right? Jeremy, they'd come and they'd say, help me, help me, help me. I need this. I need that. I got a great business plan. I've got the, the next cure for cancer. Uh, you know, uh, my, my wife left me and, and you know, my, my dog ate my house. And if you give me a few bucks, I'm going to, you know, everybody would come to you with a sub story, finding the genuinely needy cases among the grasping, open-beaked, <laughs> starling babies of endless want is a challenge, right? 
Mm-hmm. So how would you know the difference? I common sense, case by case. I don't have a, <laughs> not an a answer, solid right? answer for you. Yeah, it's, it's like, how would you do something intelligently? Well, intelligently. Uh, that's a bit of a, <laughs> like, a bit of a tautology there, right? So case by case, well, how would you decide, right? I wouldn't exactly know. I don't, I don't think I'd be the best business, business manager out there anyway. Right. Because the, and the reason I'm asking that is that if you want to be a charity, you don't need to win the lottery, right? If you want to be a charity, if you want to run a charity, then you can just say to people, give me money and I will do good with your money. And some people will do that, right? You can register as a charity. You can start to canvas stuff. You can do your Kickstarter thing. But if I'm going to give you money, I'm going to need to know how you are going to separate the deserving poor from the undeserving poor, right? From the, from the people who genuinely need help to get back on their feet and the people who blew their money at the racetrack and are lying through their teeth, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm not a business manager. I wouldn't know how to do that. <laughs> well, that's not exactly a business manager function. But, uh, so, but, but so, I mean, this is what I mean by in terms of like, okay, so if that's not something that you would feel particularly good at, and you wouldn't, you know, whether you blow your own money or other people's money, you certainly don't want to spend money enabling bad behavior you want to spend it encouraging good behavior which is it's a challenge right and if you're not sure how to differentiate that what else might you do if you won the lottery i I honestly wouldn't know i don't really feel i need much money for my life so i don't know what i do with it okay so then the problem Um, is that you don't feel like you have much to offer the world right probably yes well, tell me if I'm wrong, right? But if I said, you, you've won the lottery, what are you going to do, right? And, I mean, if you, were, if you were a great surgeon and you won the lottery, you might say, well, I would go travel to the third world fixing hair lips or performing appendectomies or for free or whatever, right? Because you would have something mm-hmm. to offer the world and winning the lottery would free you up to do that without considerations of profit, right? Yes. So if I say you've won the lottery, what do you do? And if you don't know what to do, what that means to me is that you don't feel that you have something the world needs. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that fair? Or a, a, a fair that's assessment? Very, that's very good. I would have to agree with that. Um, the only thing I've ever thought I had to offer was a, was a huge amount of self-control. That's why I want to be... a. Uh, cop pretty much. I, I wanted to be, be in the fray when, when people needed to be calm and manage a situation. That's when I thought I could be there. But other than that, I can't think of one other damn thing I'm good at. And how do you know that's a virtue? Your, your ability to keep your head? I'm not sure that is a virtue. Okay, good. That's good, right? Because that's an important thing to understand. Why do you think you have that ability? Um, oh, very easily. I was, I was teased when I was young, so I had to get used to it and just not care. And just control what I'm sorry, you were, you were what when you were young? Teased, you know, called names, Oh, you, you were teased when you were young. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. That's, oh, yeah. that's an underrated, horrendous experience. And most people are like, oh, well, you know, you could have been abused. And it's like, well, no, teasing... 
is abuse and in some ways it leaves incredibly lasting damage so um so you learned (laughs) to not react to taunting to hostility to verbal put downs all that kind of stuff right oh yes and why do you think you were teased um i was i was kind of a loser kid i'd put it that way um (laughs) the nerd Mm. (laughs) so you agree with them well, that's. I think that's. I think they poor justification for why they picked me out of it, but it was still accurate that I was a nerd. Okay, let me ask you another question then. Why do you think you were a nerdy kid, as you described yourself, or the loser kid? I particularly enjoy technology. Go on. I was fascinated with it. Wanted to know how it worked. Um, wasn't interested in the majority of things other kids were interested in. Just being different. That's uh, just not the answer. Hmm. Could you uh, phrase the question again? Why do you think you were the loser kid, as you call it yourself? Being interested in technology is, you know, is not necessary. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be teased. Are you, are you going at the? They're calling me a loser because I no. no Steve a Steve Jobs was very interested in technology. He wasn't teased. Maybe Steve Jobs had one of the I'm... few fathers in at the time, early sixties, late fifties, early sixties. I guess Steve Jobs had one of the few fathers who didn't believe in spanking. So he got to be really interested in technology, but he didn't end up being teased. Then it's, I probably acted in some way that made people target me out of the crowd. And why would you act in that way? Maybe how maybe how I was raised. I honestly don't know. Okay, so this is good. Now we're getting someplace useful, right? Okay, so mm-hmm. how were you treated at home? Um, a lot, a lot of fighting. Uh. My parents that's would argue very, all the time. Sorry, that's very imprecise. What does a lot of fighting okay. mean? Do you mean verbal, physical, emotional, between you and your parents, siblings, parents to child? What are you talking about? I'll, I'll clear it up. Um, so my, my, my dad would get home from his long day of work, and he would, him and my mom would yell at each other all day long. And in the background, my brother would beat the crap out of me, and my parents would turn a blind eye because they're busy with each other. Right. Right, I'm incredibly sorry to hear that. Mm-hmm. That is a really shitty way to grow up. And it is shitty the degree to which the social predators attack the wounded, right? Oh, there's a limping gazelle. Bam! Let's tear his throat out. <laughs> Weakness inflates predators. Uh, abuse at home is like blood I- in the water for sh- the sharks in society. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, do you mind if I share with you how, just how bad it how, how bad it was? Uh, I do not mind I grew up? So in the third grade, when someone had a birthday, and the, the job of everyone was to compliment that person or do something nice for them. And so in front of the entire class, I said, this woman had nice hair. Immediately, the entire class started laughing at me, and laughing at me until I just left the room in, in tears. And it was completely destroying to my, my sense of, I guess, wanting to be nice to others and compliment others. And that's the 
and then I get, get home and get the exact same thing. It was pretty detrimental. Uh, let me just make sure I understand that story. So you were at school, and how old were you? Third grade, so probably about eight. And who was the, you said a woman had nice hair? Who was the woman who had nice hair? It was a classmate. So a girl? And so I, yeah. Well, you said a woman. Oh, <laughs> okay, girl then, very well. Yeah, which is interesting. But anyway, we'll maybe touch back on that again. So you said a girl had nice hair, and then everybody started laughing at you. Mm-hmm. And do you remember what any of the other kids said beforehand? Before I said it? Or no, said yeah, it? yeah, before you said that, what were the other kids saying? Um, you're a nice person, you know, simple, simple, simple things. You're good at drawing or something like that. Nothing, nothing too, I don't know, profound, maybe. Right. Right. And did you like the girl whose hair you liked? Did you like her like um, as a as a potential kissy face person? <laughs> yes. Right. Which is probably what people were picking up on, right? Probably. Right. And did you ever talk about this with your parents? Oh no! Oh no! Why not? Um, I don't. I can't relate to them in the slightest. They're nothing like me. That's very abstract. What would happen if you had talked to your parents about this? They'd probably tell me to get over it, or <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh my God! Really? So your parents, uh -huh. who scream at each other every day, are telling you to get over something? Oh, uh, yeah. Or, you get or, that's or kind of mental, right? Yeah. Oh, no, I know. All right. The, the generic man things that you, you just need to get over these things. Suck it up. Man up. <laughs> yep. Die so we can kill you. Right. Okay. And was this fairly uh, common, this kind of uh, teasing? Oh, yeah, definitely. Un until about... you Look, look. sorry, you have no emotional connection to this. I'm not sure why you're telling me this. You're like, oh, yeah, oh, absolutely, oh, yeah. I don't, I don't, this is confusing and annoying to me. It doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. I'm just telling you this confusing and annoying to me. Because you're telling me some really awful stuff, right? And you huh? are completely disconnected from it. That's because I've, I've dealt, I've... I've come to terms with Don't that. even try. Don't even try telling me you've dealt with it. Don't even try. Don't even try. This is horrible stuff, right? I agree. You cannot connect with your parents. They're yelling. They're ignoring fights with your brother. You're humiliated in school. You're teased. You're called a loser, right? This is terrible mm -hmm. stuff, right? I agree, yes. Am I the only one who notices that it's terrible? Um, no, I've talked to my brothers at length about this, and they, they agree. No, I mean in this that, conversation. Um, <laughs> raise the question one more time, please. Are you bothered by anything that you're saying? Oh, yes. Oh, oh entirely. 
Okay, so why is that not coming across, do you think, in what you're saying? I'm a pretty monotone person. I just don't emote very well anymore. So you're saying that you are emotionally connected to it, but it's just somehow not coming across? Yes. And how do you know that you're emotionally connected to it? Because I, I feel the pain inside. I just don't express it. Do you feel it in, in this conversation? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. And what does it feel like? Uh, deep, dark pain. Shivering. And where does it? Where do you experience it in your body? I localized around the chest. That's mostly where I feel a lot of pain. It's emotional. And what does it cost for you to connect with that in conversation with someone? Why is that? Uh, why is that not happening? Do you think? Um, I, I just have to say that I'm, I'm emotionally damaged. I was never really able to be emotional as a kid, so I never learned it. Maybe. Hmm. Well, I don't think children have to be taught emotion. Mm -hmm. You know, babies try, right? Mm -hmm. They laugh. So I don't think kids need to be taught emotions. So I don't think it. you can say, well, I wasn't taught how to be emotional. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. So what else could it be? I honestly don't know. What do you think? Well, I think that you're still scared of being laughed at, right? Yeah, that's actually probably true. And you're scared of being rejected, right? So you talk about difficult things in a way that is confusing and off-putting to, to other people, right? Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. Go on. Oh, no, that's, that's, I'd never thought of it. Wow. I mean this sympathetically, right? I hope you understand. I'm not. Oh, no. It's not not bad oh, yeah. at all. I'm just. So I mean, you ask me what I think. That's what I think. That sounds pretty but, accurate. But, it really does. Yeah. So what was your connection there? Because again, I don't know you as a person, right? I don't know the the throughput of your life. So what was it that connected for you when I said that? Uh, about the um, rejection. Yeah. Because I ran it through my brain and it sounds completely correct. I don't, I can't take a lot of risks because I really, really don't, I hate, I hate no's. Right. So you're not emotionally damaged in that way, right? You said you had trouble with emotions. So that click that you got, that connection that you got with something that I said, that feeling of truth, of, of insight, right? Of some plug going into the wall and energy going through it. That is an emotion. Mm -hmm. And you had that instantaneously, right? Mm -hmm. So your emotions are working fine? 
you know, that's a tap, you know, like you, you come out of some car accident and they, they put a pen up your sole of your foot and they say, can you feel that? Well, you felt it, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's gone again. Because now you're back to, mm-hmm, okay. I'm acknowledging you. <laughs> well... The people who laughed at you when you were a child, how do you think their lives are going to go? I'd assume I'd probably go. I'd assume they wouldn't stop the behavior. But other than that, I have no idea. Well, statistically, about half of them are going to get divorced, right? Mm-hmm. Statistically, I don't know, are you from the U.S.? Yes. Okay, so statistically, 80 to 90% of them are going to hit their own children, right? Mm-hmm. Statistically, the more economically success, successful they are, the more likely they are to put their kids in daycare. Most people's lives, statistically, are emotional ruins, emotional wrecks. People who get divorced get pretty badly broken. doesn't mean that they can't ever fix themselves, may even come back stronger, but it's incredibly tough to go through. It is heartbreaking for years. And if it's children involved, it's heartbreaking for decades, not to mention economically and legally highly dangerous, right? Getting divorced is like having an insane roommate and you can't move out, especially if there are kids involved, if not, right? Or as some comedian said, I'm not going to get married next time. I'm just going to find a woman I hate and buy her a house. <laughs> so listen, vengeance is very, very important in life. I will tell you this straight from the gut or from two swinging castanets slightly lower down. Vengeance is very important in life. Do you know when people do you a lot of harm, I don't care who they are, mm -hmm. but when people do you a lot of harm, we really want to fuck them up. Why? Because we're mammals. You know, try cornering a cat Try cornering a rat. Try coming between a grizzly and her young. When people do us a lot of harm, we really want to fuck them up. That's what our fight and flight or freeze mechanism is for, right? Mm -hmm. Now, when people do you a lot of harm... Someone is going down, right? What I mean is, if people do you a lot of harm, someone is going to end up on the floor. Now, either that's going to be you or that's going to be them. And I'm just talking in your own mind here, right? 
when uh-huh. people create a win-lose situation, either you lose or they lose. Right? Uh-huh. And in your situation, the people who laughed at you, the people who were cruel to you, to your genuine expression of feeling an admiration for this girl's hair, which sounds unimportant, but it's not. It's really, really important. Their lives are going to be really, really horrible. Now, you sound like a young guy, so you haven't had this empirical experience, but I can tell you from this vantage point of probably being more than half done with my life, you know, I'm 47 years old. I'm more than half done. Hell, I mean, I just had cancer. I could be a hell of a lot more than half done. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the people who made you suffer will themselves suffer. And there's no God that makes that true. There's no devil that pokes pincers into their eyeballs or drops lava in their ass. It is the conscience. Because we don't believe in religion so much anymore, we forget about the conscience. The conscience records everything you do and every cruelty that you inflict on others is magnified and placed upon yourself. So the kids who laughed at you, if they did not come and apologize to you later on, they will have their hearts go through the cheese grater pushed by the scaly hand of the demon of conscience until it is a puddle of broken meat on a factory floor. You don't need to lift a finger for vengeance to accrue to the wrongdoers. But it is really important to acknowledge the desire. You know, there's this, in this one of the Star Wars movies, I think it's the third one of the first series or something like that, Emperor Palpatine. Yeah, yeah. Yes, use your hatred. Well, I, uh, I believe in using your hatred. I really do. I believe in using your hatred. It doesn't mean to go out and harm people because you don't need to. But people get theirs. I've seen this enough times now to know that this is almost entirely an iron law. It will accrue through their children. It will accrue through their marriages. It will accrue in their business relationships. But I got to imagine that you got quite a hate on for the people who harmed you. I, uh, yeah, of course, of course I do. I just don't express it. Why not? Well, well I tried to before, but I, I've been 
taught, shall we say, to not do that. Who taught you that? To not show uh, my parents, friends, school. Why? why did they teach you that? Forget about why people no, teach I... you. Always ask why they teach it to you. And I don't mean as a kid, right? I'm just talking about now. Why did they teach mm -hmm. you that? Maybe they were taught the same way. No. No, I look, I mean, I was taught lots of stupid things. I don't believe them anymore. So it's not caught, your, your belief system is not, is not caused by what you were taught. Otherwise, we'd all still be in the caves picking our asses with an antler. So why did they teach you not to get angry at people who did you harm? I don't know. Uh, of course you do. Of course you do. Well, then help me. <laughs> well. Does the thief who's going to rob your store want you to have a surveillance camera or not? Most likely not. So why doesn't the thief... Who wants to rob your store? Wants you to have a video camera, so you can see what he did. Yeah, doesn't want to get caught, right? Mm -hmm. Why would somebody be heavily invested in you not getting angry at wrongdoers? Because they themselves are wrongdoers, right? See, I told you, you knew. <laughs> <laughs> right why doesn't the fed like you to counterfeit because they're counterfeiters why doesn't the government like you to kill because they're killers why doesn't it like you to steal because they're thieves right they don't like the competition they don't like the evaluation they don't want to get caught criminals don't want to get caught wrongdoers want to disarm the natural reaction of rage right See, it's not a whole lot of fun doing wrong to people who fight back, right? It's not a whole lot of fun doing wrong to children if those children get angry later on, right? Uh-huh. And if people knew what they were doing, I just sort of believe this, like that all immorality is kind of like a lack of knowledge. But if people knew what they were doing when they harmed children, when they made fun of other people, when they joined in the crowd and put their boot into the groin of the kid with the spectacles, if they knew what they were doing to their own capacity for love and happiness and tenderness and vulnerability, I mean, you couldn't pay them enough to do it, right? How much money would have to be paid for me for me to hit my daughter or my wife? There is no amount of money in the world that would even remotely tempt me to do that, right? Because I know what the consequences are. So I ask myself, why are you disconnected from what you're saying? And mm -hmm. the answer is, because there's one emotion that is missing from your narrative, right? 
How much do you think that is? Most likely anger. Right. Uh-huh. And who benefits from you not being angry about wrongdoing? Those who do wrong against me. Right. Who in your life is currently benefiting from you not being angry about your history? Mm, probably my parents. Right. My only concern in these kinds of conversations is reducing future abuse. I can't reduce past abuse because nobody has a time machine and it can't be done. My only major concern is reducing future abuse, right? Mm -hmm. Now, what you don't get angry at, you normalize, right? I don't get angry when it rains because it's kind of normal for it to rain, right? Now, if there's a little rain cloud just following me around, then I know the CIA is testing yet another secret weapon. I might get kind of pissed, right? But that which we do not get angry about, we normalize, and that which we normalize, we reproduce. Anger, outrage, vengeance, all of these supposed dark side of the force emotions. Anger prevents abuse. If you are not angry about having been mistreated, odds are you will mistreat others in turn. Anger is the outrage which says, no, this was not acceptable. No, this was wrong. No, this was immoral. It may have been evil. It stunk to high heaven. It is unacceptable. It is wretched. It is destructive. It was cowardly. And all who harm children are cowards by definition. Wow. And if you can't be angry at having been abused, then you're still serving the abusers. You're still serving the needs of the abusers. And I sympathize with that. Kind of what we're programmed to do as children, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I have brought this up with my parents before, and my mother kind of waved it off. She, she said she didn't abuse me at all and said it was better elsewhere. I tried to argue with her. I said, why would you Why would you circumcise me? Why would you yell in front of me? Why would you ignore my, my brother beating me up? I mean, wh what were you doing? And she every time she just waved it off as if, as if it was nothing. So I've tried no, to she didn't wave it off as if it were nothing. She waved it off as if you were nothing. And she's taking a gamble, right? Mm -hmm. She's taking a gamble, and the gamble is, oh, he'll probably drop it. He'll probably conform. He'll probably serve my wishes, because that's what children are programmed to do. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny. As kids, our whole lives are told to not do what comes naturally. Don't eat all that candy. I know it tastes good, but have this broccoli. Just because you want that toy, don't go and get it. Don't push that kid. Don't yell. Don't scream. Don't raise your voice. Don't dance. Don't talk in church. Don't jump in that puddle. Don't make a snow angel. That's your good jacket. Don't splash in the shoes that aren't rubber. Right? No, you can't spend all day in your pajamas even though it's raining outside. Too much TV, too little reading, whatever, right? We're, we're, we're constantly told 
to not do what comes naturally. And I mean, some of that's fine. You know, I mean, I don't tell my daughter to not do stuff. We talk about consequences and all of that, right? But we're always told to not do what comes naturally. Well, conformity to parental desires comes naturally to children. And I suggest you should not do what comes naturally. Do you, do you think I should just keep confronting her with this until she talks to me about it? or? I think that you're looking for a plan of action when I'm talking about the resurrection of an emotion. Mm-hmm. Self is not plan. Identity is not execution. The truth is not a roadmap, right? The world is round. Does that tell you where you want to go? No, it means that if you want to go somewhere, knowing the world is round is probably a pretty good idea to navigate by, right? But saying that the world is round doesn't tell you where you should go in the world. It just means that if you want to go somewhere, you'll actually be able to get there. Saying Alpha Centauri is 4.3 light years away doesn't tell you how to get there, or even if you should go, or even if it's important to you. It's just a fact, right? Now, the fact is that you were humiliated repeatedly and the reason you were humiliated is you were cut off from parental support bullying means you were cut off from parental support I have had so many conversations about this over the course of my life it's ridiculous this is not scientific this is my universal experience I have never known a child who was bullied who was connected with the parent figure in a loving and positive manner. You see, what happens in the schoolyard has to happen in the crib first. It has to happen at home first. Everything that follows is the shadow cast by parental indifference and alienation and hostility and lack of bonding, lack of connection. That's everything that happens in, in... Life, in in love, in in society, in business, in the schoolyard, on airplanes, in wars, all of that is the shadow of people leaning over your crib with warm words, soft breaths, and smiles, or yelling in the next room, or watching TV downstairs. You see, children sense... Who is connected to parents? Who's connected to parents? Who's connected to parents? Ah, see there, there, that kid, that kid, lost in space, adrift, no connection, no support, separated from the herd, cut off from parental support. Bang, we're going to get him, right? Mm -hmm. Because what do children fear? If... Children knew that your parents were going to come and talk to them or go and talk to their parents. They'd pick on easier people, right? Uh-huh. Or if you, they knew your parents were going to go and talk to your principal and have you record stuff on your iPad and play it back and cause a big stink and a big fuss, they wouldn't bother, right? The bullies in the playground are an effect of the bullies at home. 
they can't possibly exist without parental indifference and alienation. And who the hell is your mom to tell you what is a bad experience for you or not? Literally, that's like me, like you get a piece of cheesecake and you say, damn, Steph, this is great cheesecake. And I say, no, it's not. It's not great cheesecake for you. You're wrong. Who the fuck am I to tell you what is good and bad for you? If you had a bad experience, you know what? You had a bad experience. If you were scared, know what? You were scared. Who the fuck am I to tell you what your experience is? That's why I always say to people in this show, in this conversation, this is what I think. Does it fit with you? Does it make sense to you? Does it resonate with you? Is that your experience? I tell people a million times, I don't want to tell you your experience. I tell them, this was my experience. I don't want to project that on you. I don't know what your experience is. Right? So when you go to your mom and you say, Mom, I had a bad experience, and she basically says, No, you didn't. That's mental. She has no right to tell you. I mean, it's, it's insane to even have to say this. Mom, I'm sweaty. No, you're not. Mom, I'm hungry. No, you're not. Mom, I'm sleepy. No, you're not. What? What? When you have an experience and other people say that you didn't, I'll tell you what they're saying. All they're saying is one simple, selfish little goddamn thing. When you say, I feel this, and someone else says, no, you don't, all they're saying is, oh, I'm sorry, your feelings are inconvenient to me. So I'm going to snap my fingers and make them go away. Because they make me, I don't want to talk about it. It makes me uncomfortable. It's not something I want to pursue or explore. And you understand, it's a complete continuation of exactly why you were teased to begin with. It's literally like I'm a waiter and I want a good tip. And I know I have a, I have a good tip if people really love their meal. I go over to people and I say, how was your meal? And they say, it was terrible. The burger was half frozen. The fries were cold. And I say, no, you loved it. <laughs> what would they say to me? Are you insane? Are you mental? Yeah, like what the fuck? Do you think that's going to get you a good tip? I know whether I enjoyed the goddamn meal, thank you very much. Don't tell me whether I enjoyed the meal. I, somebody reviews a movie. Producer calls them up and says, oh, uh, you were wrong. It, it was a great movie. I know you gave it one star, but you're wrong. You have to revise that. It's a five-star movie. <laughs> a, don't tell me what my experience of the movie was. And B, you're obviously too self-interested to be objective about my experience. Right? Mm-hmm. The waiter is going to tell you you had a good meal so he'll get a better tip. And the producer of the movie is going to say it was a five-star movie because more people will go and see it if it's praised, right? How comfortable is it for your mama to hear you say, 
I did not have a good experience at times as a child. I don't think she'd like that. Well, you know she doesn't, she doesn't like it because she's waving it no, away. She doesn't. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. Didn't happen. Doesn't matter. Even if it did happen, you had it better than most. There were kids in India didn't ever have a roof over their head. Yeah, because you see, she's so, your mom, it's really quite admirable. She's so great at putting things in perspective. She's so great at being thankful for her blessings that I'm sure she never fought with your, oh, wait, no. No, I guess you said she screamed at your dad a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So your mom is not really good at putting things in perspective. So she's only putting things in perspective for you because it's convenient to her. And so your emotions are denied because they're inconvenient to her and I'm sure to others. And then you call this conversation up and you say, Steph, I don't know what I want to do. But of course you don't. How could you? Knowing what you want to do means that you have to have an identity. You have to have self-acceptance. You have to have passion. You have to have goals. You have to have ambitions. You have to have a community of people who believe in you. You know, Bill Gates, when he was first negotiating for DOS with IBM, was running in and out of the room on the phone with his father, who's a patent lawyer. Do you think that helps a little bit? Yeah, he had someone in his corner. It didn't come out of nowhere. Ooh, he's got an IQ of 160. Well, so do a lot of people. So, so I, I think that a, a reclamation of the self is the goal. Now, what the hell does that mean? What a load of frou-frou, right? <laughs> that and a side order of fries, right? But you need a reclamation of the self. Now, let me tell you the only fundamental thing the only fundamental thing that I have found to be the reclamation of the self, which means to have an identity, right? Mm -hmm. Which is to take yourself very, very, very seriously. Take yourself very, very, very seriously. And what that means, if you're going to take yourself very seriously, that means take your experiences seriously, take your feelings seriously, take your anger seriously, your humiliation, your passions, your recoiling, your anger, everything. Take it seriously. You don't get any extra years for ghosting yourself, for turning yourself into a ghost, right? For conforming to people who don't fundamentally care about you. You're caring about people matters when it's uncomfortable to care about them, right? Mm-hmm. Caring about, <laughs> you know, caring about someone who's giving you a blowjob, not that hard. <laughs> Don't stop, right? (laughs) Not that hard. Well, hopefully quite hard, but you know what I'm saying. But caring about people who has a big disagreement, that shows up when you have a big disagreement with someone, has a big disagreement with you, right? 
Now, when you start to take yourself seriously, Jeremy, mm-hmm. it places great strain on people who don't take you seriously. Right? You are a human being with depth, power, history, experience, unconscious, brilliance, connection, and mental powers that we're all only exploring still as human beings. We can do so much more with our brains. I'm still trying to find ways to do better things with my brains, and I've got a long way to go. How successful could I be doing what I'm doing if everyone around me thought it was bullshit and frivolous and nonsense and ridiculous? Not very far. No, I couldn't. How far could Bill Gates have gone in his career if when negotiating with IBM, he'd called up his dad and his dad would say, oh, stop being ridiculous. You need to get a paper route. Click. He couldn't, right? His dad took him seriously. Right? His dad took him seriously. So when you start to take yourself seriously, you will push back. It's like a anti-gravity well. You will push away people who don't take you seriously. Because when we take someone seriously, it is almost always going to result in inconvenience for ourselves. If you don't take a diet seriously, does it ever really inconvenience you? No. Right? No. If you take a diet seriously, well, then it's inconvenient. You've got to go buy the right food. You've got to change your habits. You've got to whatever, right? You take lung cancer seriously, you're going to quit smoking. Frivolity begets frivolity. Emptiness begets emptiness. So the reason why it's hard for you to take your experiences seriously, which is what I started this conversation talking about, is because you're surrounded by people who don't take you seriously. And so you have to start that gift to yourself. And anyone who takes themselves seriously is automatically one in 10,000. I mean, come on, you think the idiots painting themselves blue in sports theaters are taking themselves seriously? Do you think people joining up in the military to go shoot what they're pointed at are taking themselves seriously? Do you think people dragging themselves to work, doing something they don't like, living with people they're indifferent to, having children they yell at, are they taking themselves seriously? No. They're giggling in an expiring helium way through the deflating bag of their empty lives. Take yourself seriously, and you will automatically have something the world desperately needs, which is depth and a refusal to self-erase because other people aren't there. Does that make any sense or or help at all? Again, this is my sort of thoughts on it, but it only matters if it matters to you. That really resonates with me. That's really, really insightful. Wow. That's a lot to think about. Holy crap. And you called because of that, right? Look, I make fun of myself, and I'm not saying if you take yourself seriously, you can't ever smile or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, but... 
I mean, I, I take what I'm doing enormously seriously. And why not do that for you? You were wronged. You were wronged badly. Or, I guess you could say, expertly. I don't mean that's all you were, right? I'm you know, sure some good stuff happened too, but you were wronged. And that is serious, serious stuff. And that doesn't mean you can't laugh again. Doesn't mean you can't have fun again. But take the harm that you experienced very seriously, because I guarantee you, Jeremy, as a child, you took it, you took it pretty fucking seriously, right? When they laughed at you uh -huh. about the girl with nice hair, that is serious stuff. It's not frivolous. It's not silly. It's not nonsensical. It's not immature. That is serious stuff. When your mother says, it didn't happen, it doesn't matter, it's immaterial, kids had it worse. She is saying that in the current conversation, there is no part of me that can touch anything serious in you. In other words, there is no me and there is no you. There is only a manipulation of immediate comfort in the moment at the expense of who knows what. Well, for most parents and most people, the expense is non-existent. You just conform and push it back down and go back to Sunday dinners, right? So they can do it because there's no cost, right? Yeah. You know, when uh, James Cameron was directing Avatar, he said, we are going for Oscars. We are going to make the greatest film of all time. Anybody who's not on board with that should not sign up for the film. But we are going for the very greatest and best thing that we can create. And if people don't believe that you're capable of things, if people don't believe in the seriousness of what you have to offer, and seriousness doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you can take comedy very seriously. Like if you're going to be a comedian, you take it very seriously. I'm talking with Joe Rogan. He's like, yeah, he's half the day writing material. And, you know, he takes, he takes that job very seriously. Oh. And there's so many people around the world who will try to scrub any seriousness from your soul and any soul from your body and just turn you into an empty little plastic cup of windy conformity. Blech. Blech. Life is too short. Some people are saying in the chat room they didn't like Avatar. It's not the point. That's not the point. The point is not, not whether he made the best movie ever. He didn't, in my opinion. That's not the point. The point is that he took it seriously. That's all. So, anyway, I hope that, uh, I hope that helps, and uh, I am very sorry really for does. what happened. Thank you very much. You're very welcome, and uh, do drop a line. Let me know how it goes. Uh, and... Um, Certainly a therapist can help in these kinds of situations. So, All right, Mike, who do we have next? All right, David, go ahead. You're next, sir. Hey, Stephen. Hello, David. How are you? Um, um, pretty painful at the moment, to be honest. 
Wow. Like just I'm listening to, to Jeremy's conversation. Oh, I, I just felt like I was like almost like dot point for dot point, like the same experience as Jeremy. Oh, yeah, me too. Oh, me too. Yeah, I mean, let's make it about me like, again. Me. <laughs> no, I mean, I get it. I mean, I, I, you know, I was not taught to have any depth or any, right? Yeah, just listening. That cut, was a man, really cut a man off from his anger. You just made a slave. Anyway, go on. Um, yeah, like I, I sort of came into this morning like an action plan as well. Um, like I have a lot of like social anxiety. Like, like yesterday I was on Wikipedia, I looked up, um, avoidant personality disorder and like everything on there, like described me. Oh, that webpage can be totally hard to find. <laughs> anyway, go on. Um, Keeps moving. <laughs> yeah. And like how to form like courageous, like how do you form a habit of courage? Like, I just feel like I'm living a life of fear. Right. Right. But why do you think that? Why do you think that's happening? Um, I don't know. I mean, I probably do. But <laughs> Have you ever listened to this show before? <laughs> oh, yeah, I can't I know believe people are right. The three words that <laughs> means I really want to have a more exciting philosophical conversation. The pretense to not know. Well, I guess that's why I called. So I could yeah. have that bull crap taken away. Right. <sighs> yeah, it's, it's mostly like fear of um, people. Right, so we're describing the condition, but I asked why you think you have it. Because I was continuously rejected and humiliated as a child. I'm not sure if there was a question mark at the end there, but it sounds like there was half a Captain Hook. What, what, is, that, is that a question? No, that's a statement. That's a statement, all right. And uh, in what way were you bullied and humiliated as a child? Um, um, like I just remember from like the ages of like six to like 12, like my brother and like this other friend that lives on our street, like they would like sort of group up against me all the time and like reject me and like they just didn't like me and I was like the only people there. Did that, was, did that answer your question? Sort of. Layer one of nine. That's all right. We'll just attach a diamond drill bit and <laughs> auger up again. Um, yeah. So your brother would... And you were you, were you younger? I'm older. So your younger brother would reject you? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Slightly off the beaten path of traditional sibling relationships. But um, so your younger brother would reject you. What social cachet did he have? Was he really good looking, very sporty? I mean, did he have know all the cool chicks? I mean, how did he have the social cachet to reject you? I guess he was just liked by that one other boy more than me. 
Right. And where do you think he learned this from? This behavior? Well, I mean, I know intellectually it's my parents, but I can't make <laughs> right. a connection emotionally. He, he dutifully answered <laughs> the expected response, right? Okay, so no abdu- abduction by space aliens, all right. All right. Okay. So, uh, how did your parents uh, discipline you or deal with you when you were children, you and your brother? Um, just like nagging and did it yelling. Like, I, I just most of it's just like humiliation. Okay. So your parents would humiliate you. Uh, when yeah, uh, under like, what circumstances? What would what would bring that about? Like I just remember, like every day I'd come home and, like sorry, like every day I'm home, my parents come home from work, they're angry and they like take it out on me or all of us really, and then I guess it just infects us, so we replicate that behavior. <laughs> you really sound you're reading off a psych one on one text, but all right. Uh, why why do you think they were angry? What were they angry about? Like just like disappointment with their shitty lives. All right. In what ways were their lives shitty? Um, I don't know. Oh, sorry. I don't, sorry, I don't know. Like. They pretend they're all like happy, but like their relationships are terrible, and like um, there's like no depth there. Their relationship with each other was terrible. Yeah, like they um, they were they almost had a divorce a few years ago. And what were their issues with each other? I really don't know because, like, I don't talk to them that much. Like, really? Like, Come on, you grew up in the household. You, <laughs> you know, I get, you know, what's the capital of Timbuktu? You can get an I don't know, but if you lived in Timbuktu for 20 years, you you don't get that one, right? I don't know because, like, my mom used to, like, blame us, like, like, <sighs> um, Oh, I don't know. I still really um disconnected from it. Well, let me ask you this: Did they ever fight in front of you, guys? Not much. All right. Not really. But when they did fight in front of you, what were they fighting about? Well, no, it feels blocked in my head. Like. Well, we can either try and break through the block or you can call back at a time where you feel less blocked and feel more willing to work. Um, I feel willing to work. You're not acting willing to work. And I don't mean this in a critical way. I'm just sort of pointing out, right? If you show up to the track meet smoking and in a three-piece suit, I assume you're not ready to run, right? What could be blocking me then? Well, I don't know, but the question is, do you want to get through the block? Yeah. Okay, then stop giving me I don't knows and not much and who knows and all that kind of stuff, right? I mean, if if you want to work, then we'll work. If you don't want to work, that's totally fine. I can go on to the next caller, right? 
I'm not trying to be critical. I'm not really not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just being pragmatic to the necessity of a live show, right? Yeah, dude, I get it. I think I, I, think I probably should call back. Okay, if you feel more comfortable doing that, I'm happy to help you work through it if you want, but you'll have to dig in, or you're welcome to call yeah, back. Yeah, no, I, I can just say I'm not getting anywhere, so thanks for that. No problem at all. All right, Mike, who's next? All right, Orlando. Go ahead, Orlando. Okay, how you doing, Stefan? I'm well, how you doing? You... Good. I just want to let you know I, I really appreciate what you're, what you're doing. I, oh, I appreciate that. Thank you very I much. Had a, I had a question, but as I was doing more research, I think I kind of find, found the answers to my question. Because um, in my original email, I was asking about um, corporations. And because I was thinking about my retirement and I wanted to save for my retirement. And at the time, I, the only thing I could think of was, you know, I had to like start a 401k. I had to start an IRA account and invest in these corporations and then, um, you know, be able to build um, for retirement that way. But I, I think I, I think I had the answer to that question now. So I guess I want to really wanted to talk about was, um, you know, what do you think about like um, contracts and um, and contract laws and and that kind of thing? Could you be a tad more specific? Well, I'm 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 I'm, I'm starting to get into um into law and understanding law and understanding contract law specifically as it applies to my person, um, me, right. and. I know like you had a background with your own business and having your own business and stuff like that. And I just want to get like your ideas on it as it pertains to like the government and things. Well, okay. So uh, I'll just give you a few thoughts on, on contracts and you can, uh, yeah, hopefully it'll be somewhat uh, of use. So the first thing to recognize about contracts is that they're virtually unenforceable in the current system. They are virtually unenforceable. Uh, contract law at the moment exists to allow large companies with an entire floor full of illegal staff to, to threaten and bully smaller companies. Uh, law, in, in particular contract law, exists at the moment as a rent-seeking advantage for larger corporations uh, in, in the same way that copyright does. And so you write something down, uh, clearly there's no magic in the paper that's going to make anyone obey anything. And going to the government to attempt to enforce a contract is not uh, wise. Right? So uh, I know a guy, uh, no, no details whatsoever, but I know a guy who went to enforce a legitimate contract. Uh, he felt, and you know, I believe him, that he had been shortchanged in a legitimate contract. And what happened was uh, it dragged on for months. The lawyers racked up hundreds of thousands of dollars in fees. He ended up losing the, he, you know, some suspicion that uh, something under the table occurred. And uh, he ended up having to declare bankruptcy uh, as a result of trying to enforce his a contract, and I, I won't even get into more details, but I've heard so many countless stories of these kinds of situations where somebody's like, hey, 
I've been wronged. I'm going to go to the government to make my wrongs right because I pay taxes and there's a, a, law, a law system and there are courts and you basically could just get sucked into this maf massive mas mafia clusterfrack of infinite billables until you literally bleed white and expire in the corner. So uh, knowing that the government is no better at enforcing contract law than it is at protecting your property or adjudic adjudicating divorce disputes or protecting children or uh, maintaining peace in the world or anything like that, the recognition of that is that you better really better do business with people you trust. I'm almost of the opinion now that if I have to have a contract, I'm not going to do it. Because I know that a contract is not enforceable. I know that there's, it, it, not only is it not enforceable, but trying to enforce it will break you in two like a rotten twig under the left ass leg of Godzilla. And so if you feel the need for a contract with someone, then that is your unconscious saying, for God's sake, don't do it. Just don't be under any illusion that contracts can work. The only time I've ever successfully used any kind of government justice is one time when I put a deposit down on an apartment with the caveat that I needed to check with my girlfriend whether she'd want to live there. And the guy said, no problem, I'll give you the deposit back. And he ended up not giving me the deposit back. I took him to small claims court who made him cough up. Uh, and, uh, so that was, you know, that's the, but that's small claims court. I mean, the, the whole point of that is it doesn't adjudicate any significance, uh, in terms of contract, but, uh, yeah, the stuff I've seen in the business world, the stuff I've heard about from friends, uh, contracts are worse than not enforceable because they give you the illusion of some kind of security, but trying to enforce a contract, uh, through the government legal system is just a recipe for emotional and financial suicide. Yeah. I guess the reason Stop why I, was me if I asking sound bitter. I was, uh, <laughs> sorry. Well, no, I I think I understand what you're saying because I've 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 read like some material that was talking about that and it was it was showing like how what the court system is doing they're playing like this game where they're trying they're, it's like, it's almost like a it's almost like a it's almost like a like a Shakespearean not a Shakespeare, I don't know if Shakespeare is the right word but like a Shakespearean type of play where you you have the stage. And then there's like a stage, and then everyone identifies which which role they're going to act as, and then it's like it's like a, 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 a just presumptions. I keep that's why I keep hearing everybody talk about. Yeah, I mean it's all nonsense, right? I mean there's a a bunch of lawyers right now challenging Obamacare because um, Obamacare is only supposed to give subsidies to states that set up their own exchanges, and and according to the law and. I think 37 states have not set up their own exchanges and therefore should be ineligible for subsidies. And the guy who's prosecuting it says, like in the 30 years I've practiced law, this is about a simpler case. Like north is north, south is south. This is about a simpler case. They say we're only going to subsidize the states that set up their own exchanges. And 37 of them didn't and therefore there should be no subsidies going out. And the government lawyers are like, well, you know, it's all up to interpretation and, you know, you could make the case for that. And sometimes people act in proxy. And if you look at the full context of law and so on, right, I mean, it's all just nonsense. You know, like I had I had a, 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 an attempt to enforce um, some some bad practices on the part of, of someone who was working with me and, and the organization this person was party to was was working for mistakenly included something in discovery to me, like in the stuff you have to release, where they said, oh yeah, this guy totally acted illegally, this was really badly done, right? 
And I'm like, oh, I'm like, I got that. And I'm like, wow, okay, because I was naive, right? I was young. I'm like, wow, okay, so this is an open and shut deal. Let's just go full hog, right? And my lawyer was like, well, you know, you never know what's going to happen when you get into that room. You never know. And I said, but you've got to be kidding me. This is an admission of criminal. Like, you've got to be kidding me. They've admitted that this guy broke the law, let alone, you know, didn't uphold the contract. And he's like, yeah, you know, that, that might help. And, <laughs> you know, I was literally like, because I was naive, right? So it, does that help just in terms of uh, contracts? I mean, contracts in, a, in the Bitcoin environment, in a free society and so on, contracts, I think are going to be a lot more enforceable. But right now, the whole thing is a sham to, to give big companies power. And of course, I mean, who writes the laws is lawyers. You know, people say, well, you know, the insurance company, the insurance companies wrote Obamacare and uh, the pharmaceutical companies wrote the, 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 the drug plan under, under Bush the second and so on. And, and that, but lawyers write the law and right. Right. So, so lawyers write the law. And so who, who is it going to benefit? Lawyers. It's, it's designed to benefit them. Yeah. Which means, you know, which means you know a few things about the law, right? I mean, even even if you knew nothing, even if you were a space alien from another dimension, you would know, so, okay, lawyers write the law, so who's going to benefit lawyers? Well, how do lawyers make their money? Well, they make their money through billables, right? Or through billable hours. And so you would want to design a legal system where things are going to take as long as humanly possible. You're going to create a legal system that is so Byzantine and complex that only lawyers will feel comfortable uh, doing it. Um, you know, like like working within that, uh, you will make it as uncertain as possible, uh, so that lawyers can can spend even extra time, more time preparing defenses, and then you would make sure that there's an appeals process so lawyers can continue to bill, and you would make it as adversarial as humanly possible, uh, so that uh, lawyers could uh, keep fights, start fights, and keep them going in order to retain billables. And you know, lo and behold, no miracle of miracles. That's how the legal system pretends to work. So, I mean, I think contracts are noble and honorable and, and fine things, but, you know, so is uh, national defense. But that doesn't mean that you want 750 government military bases all over the world if you're an American citizen. And uh, education is a fine thing, but government schools are not. Uh, and so the law, uh, as it is just another government program written by lawyers to profit lawyers and to benefit concentrations of economic power, and to, you know, screw people who want to try and gain the illusion of justice uh, through it. So, no, it's, it's, it's just unbelievably wretched. And unfortunately, people watch a lot of law on TV. And uh, it's like trying to find a bill in House MD. You can't, right? And trying to find people who uh, end up being broken in two financially because the lawyers can't get anything done or have no incentive to get anything done or resolved. Uh, you can't find that stuff on TV, right? Because, you know, the the drama of reality is too painful uh, for most people to listen to. And what you see on TV has about as much to do with law as Lord of the Rings has to do with the Middle Ages. But that's my thoughts on it. Yeah. I, yeah. I think what I found out is like, um, like a lot of, a lot of, a lot of what's going on in the court systems, what they show on TV is not really accurate to what's really going on. And, like when you understand like what's really going on, you realize it's just a show. It's just a game that they're playing where they're using presumption. They're trying to figure out who's going to act in a certain manner. 
and then once the roles have been once once you set yourself and once you stand in a certain role, then we can proceed with the um with the show, and then you know then you you guys go about arguing and debating, whereas if you don't know the positions that where they're supposed to be, then you you kind of run into um problems. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's fair. Was there any yeah, other question you had? Well, that was it. Okay, good. Well, you know, what's good about it is without the illusion of this, you can make sure that you really do business. Uh, Mike, have you ever felt the need for a contract uh, between us? Other than the sexual harassment oh. stuff that you keep bringing up. <laughs> all the time. That's in, no, please, no, more sexual harassment. And I'm like, no, I'm not that way inclined. Come Although on. you do look fine in that song. <laughs> but I, I appreciate right. it. Thanks, Thank man. I appreciate I- that. No, but we don't, right? I, I mean, and imagine, you, do, uh, you don't do anything with contracts, right? I mean, we subcontract out all the time for a variety of services in the show. We got translation people. We got video people, music people. Uh, we got uh, animation. I mean, we don't. We, we get people to do research for us and, and all that. We don't do contracts, right? No, everything's a handshake deal. Yeah. yeah. It's the way I like to work. It's uh, far less complicated, and I don't want to work with people that I can't trust, like you said. So. No, no, and, and you know... Here, I've got a five-page contract. Oh, so you're basically telling me to bend over right now, right? I don't like paper cuts back there, man. They're too late. It's going to take me longer to actually read that contract and sign it and get it back to you than it is for the job to be done, for Pete's sakes, you know, in some cases. Yeah, and I think think with with very few exceptions, we've not had any hugely problematic experiences, right? No. No, not at all. All right, but that's just something to remember. So, uh, yeah, just... just, uh, Find people you really trust, hold them close to your heart, and uh, virtue, virtue and insights are efficiency. So uh, that would be my suggestion. So who's on next? Well, Katie, you're up. Go ahead, Katie. Hi, Stefan. It's really good to talk to you. Good. Nice to chat with you, too. What's up? Um, well, I wanted to talk to you about your insights on how you actually would think education would work in a stateless society. Um, Now, I'm a complete voluntarist. I'm completely on board with all the principles of anarchy, like especially non-aggression. So I definitely have my own ideas, but it's kind of exciting to talk about these things with other like-minded people because honestly, like, we don't know how it would work. Um, It's kind of like a blank canvas that's just waiting for our creative solutions um, and the possibilities are endless. So that's why I'm really excited to get this chance to ask you this question. Um, I would imagine in a voluntary society, um, school would not be compulsory, which would be ideal. Um, there would probably be more apprentice-based vocational opportunities, um, which would be great. Um, I would hope there would be more homeschooling and unschooling happening um, with co-ops popping up all over, you know. Um, and families could just use their would-be tax dollars as tuition at a school of their choice. But, I mean, those are just some of my ideas. I would love to hear yours as well. It's a great, uh, it's a great topic. I, I really appreciate you bringing it up. Well, I mean, I'll be annoying and ask a question, answer a question with a question. Annoying and, and possibly just... Emily Post downright rude, but what do you think education is for? Right, so we 
you know, what what kind of tarmac should we put on the road? Well, what's the road going to be used for? You know, is it just a horse or is it an airplane? All right. So what what do you think education is for? Uh, and then I think we can sort of figure out how it might be implemented. Um, That's a really good question. And it kind of touches on a sensitive topic because, oh, God, don't hate me. But I am a public school teacher. I'm not... Um, I don't think I'm I'm as bad as what you've said in the past, um, but it, I do come along with a school that has tenure, unions, pension, and all that horrible corrupt. I like that. So a lot of you know, I don't know if you know this old. It's, you sound pretty young, right? But there's this old commercial saying: "This woman says, don't hate me because I'm beautiful.'" <laughs> I think we have the kind of show where it's like, "Don't hate me because I'm a public school teacher." <laughs> In a Van Halen video, but anyway, I was kind of afraid about revealing that. But I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm. Since I've grasped onto these ideas, I kind of, I want to leave that field in the future, and which eventually I will do because well, I plan on. Wait, wait, wait. Field or or job? Well, right now it, it's a job. Yeah. No, what um, I mean is because leaving fe- leaving the field is like I'm not going to be a teacher at all. Leaving the job is like I'm not going to be a public school teacher. Oh, leaving the job then. Okay, okay. I, so I, you I, might become a private school teacher or a tutor or something like that, right? Yeah, and since we plan on – I'm engaged right now, and we are completely on board with homeschooling and unschooling and everything. I've done a lot of research on it, and it sounds it, – it's great. Um, so eventually I plan on going that route, um, which is teaching still and the most meaningful kind of teaching there is, I think, which kind of ties into your question what you think, like you were asking me what education should be and really just, no, uh, no, sorry. I said, no, no. My question was, what is education for? What is the purpose of education? Then we can figure out maybe what it should be. And I'm happy to take, you know, comments from the chat window, too, if other people have such a big topic that we can't possibly close it off. But uh, go ahead. Right. Um, Well, I I know that what public school is now is not what it should be. Um, You know, I've done a lot of reading on like with with Gatto and um, schools were basically built in the early 20th century to create good worker bees and factories. And I mean, still, it really hasn't changed much. Um, you know, they're taught to obey and be good employees. And I, you know, it's kind of weird being completely on board with the anarchy thing and being a public school teacher. And I know I'm not going to be in the field much longer. Um, so it's kind of fun toying with the idea of how I'm going to handle that. Like, uh, I don't know, like I'm kind of thinking I should just release a couple blogs or videos and see how long it takes to get fired or <laughs> um, maybe even go really radical and start talking to my kids about these topics. Who knows what would happen? So, I mean, I'm definitely not going to stay in this field. That's, uh, and that was actually going to be my question to you is, you know, I'm, I'm an anarchist and a teacher. What do I do? But I already know what you're going to say. You're going to tell me to quit my job and spend wait, my wait, time. Wait, wait, Katie, Katie, Katie. <laughs> Why are you not answering my question? I've asked it three times now. What is the purpose of education? <laughs> you are a good filibuster, but you still must try and answer my question. Uh, the purpose of education? 
You mean public education or just education no, in general? No, 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 the perfect of pur- what, what, purpose of education. Uh, not not public school education to create drones and patriots and sports fans, but um, no, the purpose of education. What is it for? What is it? What is it for? In to a free system, make, in a in an ideal system. Okay, um, to make each person the best person that they can possibly be, basically to facilitate them living up to their potential. That's what I think. In whatever system. Well, no, but I mean, you 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 got to have something specific to education because a coach would say that about sports training, right? And a nutritionist would say that about food and and all that, right? So the best, you know, that, that that's not very specific, right? It has to be something specific to education and not everything else where you could be number one at, right? Okay. Um. So. Basically, superlatives I, I and mean, adjectives. Sorry, what I'm saying is superlatives and adjectives aren't much of a definition. Right. Um, I don't know if I can answer that question very well. Um, basically, I, I think education should just be to expand their minds and live up, help them live up to their potential. And I, I don't know if I'm answering that. I mean, I, I think that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really tough to answer, right? Because you're sort of saying, I'm saying, well, you know, what's what's the best cheesecake? Well, the best cheesecake is the one that is tastes the best. Okay, well, how do we make it taste the best? Well, yeah. we use the best ingredients. It's like using the word best here isn't actually adding too too much of our knowledge, right? So, so, um, so I mean, I I would say that the the purpose of education is is to solve knowledge deficiencies, right? To 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 solve problems that that knowledge can solve, right? Okay. And, yeah. Right. I, I mean, I in, can... it's in the, we have a huge problem with this collective health. You know, l- let me ask you a question: uh, Is there any subject sure. when you were in school that you weren't really good at? Mm, I guess maybe I I tried to be good at everything, but I guess English maybe. So you weren't that good at English, got, is that right? I got I got B pluses and I wanted A's. Basically, you could be pluses. All right. So you were an apple polisher keener. Good for you. That's fantastic. I mean, for me, it was math. I wasn't really good at math. Didn't really like math and all that. And I tried. I tried taking grade 11 math twice because I felt I was always getting my 52 percent and just scraping by and all that. But I never liked it. And I've never ended up using it. And I knew like I knew from when I was a little kid that I just didn't really like math. And I knew I really liked language, like English and writing and, and reading and all that. And I knew I really liked science and I, you know. Didn't really care that yeah. much about geography. And do you know how little of that has changed? I mean, it's basically the same when I'm 47 that it was when I was six or seven. And one of the things that happens with schools as they are now, this is both public and private schools, is that the individual skills, abilities, and preferences of the children simply cannot be accommodated. Right? So I can't say, well, look, I don't really like math. But I still, because I still have to keep taking it for the next 12 years, even though I don't really like it. People say, well, it'll come in helpful and so on. But the reality is it never actually did come in that helpful. I mean, all the math that I've used throughout most of my life, I learned before I was seven years old. Exactly. Wait, can I add something right now? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) All right. I am a math teacher. I'm a special ed math teacher. Um, and I agree with you completely. I had to teach algebra to these high school juniors and 
I work at a tech school and I would love nothing more than to just teach them what other what what math comes up in their technical or vocational field organically. I would love that. What math would actually be relevant to them in their field and also in real life. But we have all these top down standards placed on us. We have to teach, you know, algebra one and we have to teach to this test and that test. And it's horrible. Like it gets harder and harder to lie every day. And it also gets discouraging because I get these kids that can't do two times three. How does that happen? They're a high school junior. How can they not know their multiplication facts? And that really caused me to lose faith in public education and uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I just had to add that in there. No, no, that's fair. I mean, I remember being in a guidance counselor and saying, I don't like math. And he, he sort of gestured me to a poster behind him and said, these are all the professions that you can't do if you don't know math. And it would be like accountant, tax lawyer, uh, math teacher. And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> I think I'd rather dig ditches than do any of that shit. So this is not that much of a sell for me. I'm sorry? <laughs> And, and what you said about the math you need to know, you learn before you're seven years old. I can't agree with you more on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, just, I mean, honestly, yeah. when was the last time I used the opposite angle theorem or the triangle inequa inequality yeah. relations or whatever it was, right? I mean, it, I it just doesn't, doesn't come up in my life. Now, I did do some math. You know, I did some fairly math intensive stuff when I was in uh, the business world, but I just learned what, I mean, then I had purpose, so I learned it, and, you know, I didn't have to spend 12 years learning all this shit that I don't care about. It's relevant. Yeah, it's relevant to your life. You're motivated to learn it. I know. I know. But, um... So, yeah, and, and I'm also being paid to learn it. So, my motivation is, you know, I'm getting paid, baby, and that, that can do a lot. So, so yeah, so, so to me, the purpose of education is I have a particular problem to solve. Mm -hmm. And how am I going to solve it? Now, there's two forms to that. One form is, here's the answer, which is fine. And the other is, here's how to find answers in general. Yeah. Now, the most important education is learning how to think and learning how to find information, right? I mean, if you learn yeah. how to think but don't have information, you're like Plato. And if you learn how to get information without knowing how to think, then you're like a platypus just going off sense data, right? So... <laughs> So you want to learn yeah. how to think and you want to learn how to get information and because you can think you know how to process it, right? So I study a huge amounts of things for this show, right? I mean, there's almost no topic we don't touch on at some point or another. I was talking with Mike earlier today, like, what can we do that's new? And it's like, you know, I really don't know. Because, <laughs> you know, in a lot of same stuff, you know, a lot of stuff, you know, 3,000 shows. It's like, uh, what can we do that's new? It's an interesting question, right? So I mean talk tomorrow to Noam Chomsky. That's new. I guess that'll be nice. But yeah, but I, you know, I have a problem to solve, which is I like money. And in order to get money, I need to be an enjoyable person to listen to. I need to have information that doesn't make people roll their eyes like uh, they've heard it a million times before. I need to have some reasonable standards of scholarship wherein I'm not making a huge number of errors in what it is that I'm putting forward. And so all of these are problems that I solve uh, as I go forward. So my education has a purpose. I like the knowledge for its own sake, absolutely. Uh, and I find it valuable. And I was doing, you know, gathering lots of knowledge before I did a show like this. But I do like uh, having a purpose to, to what I'm doing. Uh, you know, so 
I was studying objectivism. It was helping with my with my life. It would help me sort of understand the world. It would help me make better decision uh, decisions and so on. And so 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 to me, education is not an abstract program of jumping through hoops and getting gold stars and stuff. It's like, oh, you have a problem to solve, and this is how you can go about solving it. And as you go about solving it, and, and some of those problems are, are technical, and some of those problems is who should I marry? You know, who, who will be a good mom to my children if I want children? Should I enter into a contract with someone? These are all problems to be solved. Mm-hmm. And I think that's uh, um, uh, a huge amount that education can help with that. But to me, it is a precise problem-solving mechanism that hopefully can be internalized as quickly as possible by the recipient so that we don't just sit there like faces squashed into a sardine can having endless irrelevant facts drilled at us for no purpose whatsoever. Right. So, I mean, in a voluntary society, what would your wish be? What would your perfect vision be for education? Like just a lot of self-driven education using the internet or technology or whatever resources they have available or like, like, what do you think? Cause I mean, you, you never technically answered my question either. Well, no, because I was answering my question, but how, how it will play out is in the course of being exposed to things, children will get stuck and there will be people around them to help them get over the okay. humps and teach them how you get over humps in general. Right. So my daughter likes Dragon Veil, which is this little game on I don't even know what to call it. It's like a bizarre kind of icon farming. I don't know exactly how to explain it other than you you breed dragons. Uh, uh, Dragon porn, I think, was the original name, but it was considered to be not very kid friendly. But um, uh, so so she's got some problems and we try and figure out how to help her solve them. Right. It's like, oh, do I have enough money for this? Well, let me show you. I can give you the answer like yes or no, but what does that teach you? Not much, right? Other than go to daddy. So, you know, we'll count out stuff and we'll see how it works and all that. And, uh, you know, do I have enough space to build a dragon habitat here? Well, let's try build it, see if we can find it. Can we move stuff around? Can we make room? Whatever. I don't want to bore you with all the game details, but there she's got something she wants to do. Yeah. And, and so I want to teach her that she has a goal and knowledge facilitates the achievement of her goal. But I don't want to teach her knowledge for the sake of knowledge. I consider that very bad for the brain. It's sort of like going through the phone book and memorizing phone numbers. Yeah. You know, sorry, nobody knows what a phone book is anymore. <laughs> Imagine if the internet had to be printed out and stuck in the bottom of your closet, right? But Right. Uh, you know, if you just go around memorizing stuff, you know, I had a girlfriend once who, who, who was Zoroastrian and she, when she was in school, they had to remember all of the principalities of, that ruled, there were like hundreds of them that ruled India uh, in the Middle Ages. And they had to be able to draw, I remember having to do this too, I had to be able to draw the Anglo-Saxon provinces, you know, in the early Middle Ages in England and so on. What the fuck was the point of that? Like in hindsight, what the hell did that teach me about anything other than here's how to draw stuff on a map? I've never used it. It will never be helpful in any way, shape or form. It didn't teach me anything about the modern world. It didn't teach me anything about how to analyze information or think or anything like that. And so uh, to me, I want I want education to be like the rocket because you want to go to the moon. You want to go to the yeah. moon, you need a rocket. And I, you know, whatever it is that you want to do, knowledge will facilitate that. I'm sorry. 
And I just said, education is how you get there, whatever road you take. You might not need any math. You might need limited math. You might need a lot of, you know, research, writing, whatever. Yeah. So, I agree. Yeah. So, um, you know, should I should I send my should I put my kid in daycare or should I stay home? This is an important question. What should decide well, actually, that question? Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to ask you. It's kind of a personal question. You don't have to answer it by any means. But I was just kind of curious how how you're planning. I know Isabella, she's turning five tomorrow. I just found tomorrow. out. Tomorrow. Happy birthday. I know. I clearly going to wake her up at 12.01 by playing um, happy birthday on a kazoo really loud by her ear. But anyway, go on. Oh, um, well, I was just kind of curious how, how you're going to handle education with her. Are you planning on um, enrolling her in some kind of Montessori school or are you going to homeschool on school? I would just love to know what you're planning on doing in your personal life. You don't have to answer it. I was just kind of curious. No, listen, look, I'm, I'm constantly grilling people about their personal lives. I would be, I'm sorry. Uh, you see, Katie, we try not to bring personal issues into this show. So I'm afraid that's off topic. No, it's perfectly fair. My God, I mean, every, everyone okay. can ask me anything thing. Uh, look, I'm an open book because I certainly encourage that in, in the caller. So, uh, and, and you know, the, the, I can see the public school and you coming out because you're assuming it's my decision. It's, it's more her decision. Yeah. She has offered that she might go to school when she's 10. That's her latest offer. Oh, but, <laughs> um, but she, she is showing no interest uh, at all in school and so I mean I yeah I don't you know if I could prove to her that school was really better for her you know like vegetables over strychnine or something you know like if I could prove to her then I could sit down and make the case for her right but but better would have to include her happiness right so let's say that well you know if you go to school then you'd be reading by now. Well, she is actually reading. I mean, she's got, I don't know, she probably does. Yeah, she can She can read. I mean, she's, you know, she still occasionally will guess at which, case, at which point we have this thing in my house just to, this is how much fun education can be, right? So um, this can I don't know when, how this started exactly, but if she told a lie, my hand spiders would eat her knees. That's, that's what happened. Until she learned that she could shoot lightning bolts from her fingertips to, to try and get the hand spiders to not eat her knees. And now when she tries to read, we have guess spiders. In other words, if she looks at a word and gets the first letter and then guesses the rest, then the guess spiders try to eat her knees, in which case the lightning bolts and fire and all that has to come out to combat them and so on. And it can just be an enormous amount of fun uh, to do that kind of stuff. But um, uh, so she, yeah, she can read. Um, she will occasionally tempt the guest spiders with her delectable kneecaps but for the most part she can she can read now if i were to say to her well you could read a, you could read a lot better if you were in school or whatever right or you know if we read for six hours a day you'd be fully fluent by now or something like that then she right. would quite rightly basically ask me well how's that going to make me happier which is you know Important. I mean, That's philosophy is important to me, and the purpose of philosophy is, is happiness, right? So even if I were to mm -hmm. say to her, well, you'd know math better, you'd, you'd be better at geography, you would, uh, you would know – I mean, she knows the history of First and Second World War. She knows Europe. She knows uh, what an atom is. I mean, she's – you know, she knows the, the solar system. She, she's really – you know, because we, we – she asks me about shows and then I bring out the paper or the tablet and we draw everything that's happening and all that. So she's learning like a cracker barrel. 
as it is. But I would have to answer her the question, how would this make her happier? I can answer that question about sugar versus non-sugared food, right? You know, like your poops will be our, you could get diabetes, your your teeth will be uh, hurt and, and so on, right? I mean, I don't mean if she does, like if she has too much sugar kind of thing, which I also have to remind myself sometimes because I've got a bit of a sweet tooth. So I can make that case to her. I can make the case to her as to why going to bed a little earlier is probably a good idea. You know, she's cranky. She might get a headache, which she sometimes does if she's up too late. Uh, I, I, you know, and uh, it's going to be kind of boring for you because I haven't talked to her mom all day. So I want to talk to mama. So it's going to be kind of dull. And, you know, your brain needs sleep to grow. And I've sort of shown her some of the diagrams and some of the stuff you can find online. So I can make that case to her and she will, you know, grudgingly <laughs> occasionally accept that case. I don't know how to make the case to her that she will be happier going to school because she knows that she's happy at home, right? She knows she's happy in my company or in her mom's company or both. And I can't, I can't say to her with a straight face, you will be happier if you are away from me for seven hours a day, how could I be a good dad and kind of say that? It wouldn't make any sense. You know, like I know I'm right. fun, but you know what's really fun? School. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm really not that much fun if school is a good competitor for me. So. <laughs> I, I love that you're focusing so much on happiness. I think that's really important. And actually kind of, it reminds me of a John Lennon quote. I, I forget exactly how it goes. Um, some school teacher asked him what he wants to be when he grows up and his mom always said you should be happy and so you know and he agreed and so he wrote happy by his own accord and then the teacher said no 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 you didn't understand the question and he said well you don't understand life <laughs> and I just love that quote and 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 what you just said completely just reminded me of that quote so that's kind of off topic but I wanted to mention that um so that's cool. That, that's really good. And you'll have to tell her um, I said happy birthday. And I hope you still talk to her about what you talk about on the call-in shows because I think that's really important too. So I remember you saying that like a couple shows ago that you've been talking to Isabella about, you know, your your calls and stuff. So that's cool. Um, can I just ask you one more question? Yes, of course. Okay. Um, Wait, well, was I that already it? mentioned that. Just get what? it going. Oh, sorry, what's that? You said, could I ask you one more question? But you meant two, right? But, oh, he's so annoyingly precise. But anyway, go on. <laughs> um, well, I already mentioned that I, I, I wanted to leave the public education field at least um, in a couple years when I have kids. But um, I'm kind of weighing the options on quitting now or staying in the field because I, I do feel like there is some some value in staying because I, you can make the best of it. Um, all public school teachers really aren't evil. <laughs> I know that's a hard sell based on what you see have on I, the news. Wait, come on, come on, be fair. Have I ever said all public school teachers are evil? Well, no, but you've maybe implied it a little bit. <laughs> oh, 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 the implication word. If I read between the lines, if I look for the code <laughs> words... No, I don't think I have ever said okay. or implied okay. that all public school teachers are evil. Do you, look, if okay. I genuinely believe that you were an evil person, do you think we'd be having this conversation? Not at all. No, all and right. I don't so believe that. I don't you. believe that. 
Okay. Um, so, I mean, after all, I do think there is some value in staying because I, I feel like I am in a position where I can have a positive impact on kids' lives. Um, you know, I can definitely model the non-aggression principle through peaceful teaching by not yelling, which is what they're so used to. And it's really how they behave nowadays. It's kind of sad. Like they don't, you know, stop talking unless they're screamed at, which is really sad. And I'm trying to break that mold. Um, so I'm trying to model that through peaceful teaching, not threatening them, really listening to them and asking them questions. Cause I feel like they don't get that at home. Both parents are working or whatever. Um, and, and I feel like school is, is bad enough as the overall big idea. I feel like it could be even worse if they had an authority, authoritarian teacher. Um, so, I mean, so I would just love to hear what you think about that, like quitting now and using my time more productively versus staying in there kind of as like, I don't know if mole is the right word or just being a good human being for these young people to talk to. I, I don't know. I would just love to know your perspective on that. Um, I, I mean, I feel like it's it's better having me as a teacher than some lefty status kook that they could replace me with if I leave. You know what I mean? So I don't yeah. know. No, it's what it's a tough think? question, and I, I, yeah, I don't I don't know that there's an easy answer, but I, I think that I want to try and offer you a perspective that doesn't. I mean, no one can tell you what to do, right? I mean, we're all just right. trying to survive in the system that we have. So I'm not going to, yeah, I, I can't give you an answer, right? Because it's, just, you're not directly using force or anything, but, but I will tell you this though, that if they see you as a virtuous person, which mm -hmm. I'm sure you try to be, and I'm sure you succeed in being to, to the degree that you can in the classroom, the concern that I always have is that people will then confuse your virtue for the virtue of the system. Yeah. Right. And I'm not saying that I want this for kids, but if, if all the teachers were nasty people, I'm not saying they are, but I'm not saying that I'd want that. But if that were the case, then telling them that the system is bad is more believable. Yeah. To take an extreme example, which I'm not putting you in the same moral category if there are a bunch of really nice, generous, kind slave owners, it becomes harder to end slavery in a way. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really good point. And so you are, I mean, yeah, if no, and, but, but, you know, that's to be balanced by the fact that it's not, a lot nicer for them to be in your class than I'm sure in some Banshee, Banshee Shriek Fest next door. So this is not, mm -hmm. but, but there is a kind of hidden cost to providing people kindness in a nasty environment because it kind of confuses them about what needs to change because then what they're going to get older yeah. they might get older and say well you know we just we need to have more more teachers like Katie I mean she was in the system so the system can't be all bad so we just try and get more teachers like Katie and blah 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 right the idea of, of changing the system as a whole may be less believable to them which is which is which is necessary yeah, that, that's a really good point and definitely leaves me with something great to think about. And uh, your your kids, I can already imagine, are extremely lucky. So good for oh, you. Thank you, Stephen. That means a lot. Oh, no. My pleasure. I'm still looking forward to coming back as the kid of half my listeners because it's, uh, <laughs> it's a pretty good place to be, I'm sure. So good for you. And uh, yeah, keep me posted about how it, going, how it goes if you get a chance. And uh, 
you know, kudos for the good that you're doing in there. But it, it is a, it is a complicated, uh, and and this is why it's really tough to answer. You know, if you said, Steph, should I go strangle a hobo? Uh, I'd say, uh, well, no, <laughs> no, not not really. There's no, but but this one is is more of a uh, more of a challenge. So. Um, right. There are costs that uh, can be a little bit more subtle. At the same time, of course, you don't want kids to have bad experiences, so it's complicated. Right. Well, I appreciate your input, and I wish you the best of luck with your endeavors and with your family. And again, tell her I said happy birthday and continue to talk about these important things with her. Well, you know that if I tell her this, though, I guarantee you she's going to ask you out for coffee. <laughs> I could take a 10 hour road trip. No problem. I would, I would love to. (laughs) Coffee is good. Coffee is good. Uh, And a tea party. But anyway, thanks very much, Katie. I appreciate your call. And uh, all right. Thank you. All right. Next, we're going to try Kurt again via phone. So while we're getting him queued up via phone, I just want to point out that we've had 1.5 million video views on YouTube in the last 30 days. 1.5 million. Not bad. Not bad at all. It just it just feels a hundred thousand less than one point six million. That's the only thing that I'm really processing at the moment. <laughs> we have this thing going where hey the show's oh, been successful no. and I immediately move the goalpost. So now that it's massively efficient, <laughs> it's like if it's not one point seven million, I'm gonna throw myself out the window next month. Anyway, no, it's uh it's it's great. It is really great. One point five million video views. And and look, that's just the stuff we track, right? I mean, there's been t- tons mm-hmm. of mirroring and the shows we do on other people's channels that, that they post and that's stuff that people post on non-YouTube videos and all that. So, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's fantastic. And, uh, yeah, podcasts uh, is great. And you know what? Kurt's phone isn't working, so we're going to go straight to George. Go ahead, George. Hey, Stefan, how's it going? Uh, I wanted to talk about Canada, believe it or not. You're from Canada, right? Oh, I live in Canada. I'm from Ireland, but live uh, I live in Canada. You, okay, yeah, it's relevant that you live there. I mean, it doesn't matter where you're from. <laughs> but um, I don't live in Canada, but I talk to people who live in Canada and usually about free market stuff, and they it seems like never fails to go to um, to Rogers and Bell. They just like always go straight for that like monopoly, oligopoly type of stuff. And, you know, I try to tell them about how oligopoly and monopolies, they can't really work in a free market. But they're still, like, they're not wrong to bring up Rogers and Bell because, like, I go and I look it up and I find, like, um, many articles and stuff that says that it is indeed a problem in Canada. Their um, phone service is, like, the price is high or whatever. And so I want to get your thoughts on that. Like, what do you think is going on in Canada? Well, I mean, it's it's CRTC, right? So, I mean, the Canadian Radio and Telecommunications Commission or something like that. And you know it's a forward-looking organization while it still includes the word radio as its central <laughs> communications medium. But it's the usual crap. I mean, they, the government has to approve mergers and it has to approve foreign companies coming in to do business. And Rogers and Bell have a lot of political clout. And Bell used to have, you know, one of these monopolies where I remember when I was younger having a long distance relationship, you might as well cut out your own kidney with a penknife and send it off to Bell because it was just crazy expensive uh, to have a long distance relationship because phone calls were so pricey and so on. So it, it's just the usual crap that, that, that people mistake these guys for the free market, right? It's, it's 
and people they're so smashed up by propaganda they they can't even think right so people are like oh man my cell phone bill is so expensive well so the logical thing to do then is to say man i should really get into the cell phone business i mean my goodness there's so much profit in it right that's what would happen in the free market right so it is uh Oh, yeah, somebody just pointed out that I call mine free domain radio in the title. It's not being forward-looking. That I did not quite pick up on. <laughs> that is very funny. That is very funny. Uh, but it doesn't include the word freedom. <laughs> That's very funny. Um, yeah, it's funny because I never even did radio for the first couple of years. It doesn't make any sense at all. But, hey, you're stuck with what you got. So, But still, mine wasn't uh, put out. I think the, I think the CEO... Uh, the, the Canadian one came in in like the 50s or 60s or something like that. <laughs> Good one, Christoph. Anyway, so, yeah, it is – it's the usual stuff. And then people say, well, I should get into the cell phone business. And then, you know, I'm sure people would imagine, okay, well, I'll go do a bit of research. They find out, oh, my goodness, here is all of the stuff I have to go through to try and get into the cell phone business. I've got to get the government to approve stuff. I've got to go through this regulatory board. I've got to get this license. I've got to get all this government crap, right? And then they say, oh, okay, well, right? It's like the healthcare in the U.S. People say, when when Obama says, "I can reduce your healthcare by thirty five hundred bucks," you know, in a year, and it's like, well, why doesn't he just start a business and charge thirty five hundred bucks less if we can still make money doing it? I mean, it'd be fantastic. Anyway, so uh, it is. Um, it's just you know they, they think it's a free market thing, and, and the government loves that, right? I mean, the, the governments are getting smarter over time, and they love having the shopkeepers between the citizens and the government because then the citizens get all pissed off at the shopkeepers and let the government off the hook. So, so are you saying that uh, the, the government uh, restrictions in Canada are worse than in America? Or oh, you, yes, are no you doubt. Saying, yeah, because America went oh, through, they had the AT&T and they broke it up. The AT&T used to be a virtual monopoly in the U.S. And I think it was in the 80s that they broke it up into what's called the baby bells and so on. And they started some really heavy competition going on in the U.S. And some of that has happened here in Canada. Like we have voice over IP now and uh, you have a couple of options for internet service providers and so on. But for a long time, Bell uh, in, in, with Canada was a quasi-legal um, monopoly and, and you know came very much out of the military establishment. I did business with Bell uh, in the 90s uh, as a company and uh, yeah, it was a very, very pretty strict and you know pretty paramilitary kind of organization. And uh, yeah, the restrictions on, on telecommunications in Canada are much higher than they are in the U.S. Oh, well, I don't know that because, uh, like, when I think of, like, laws and stuff, that, like, even for my own country, to find out what laws are in my own country, like, I have no idea. Like, how am I supposed to know about all these stupid laws? Like, it's difficult to find out. So, you know, I just don't know how to find out that sort of thing. So that's why, you know. Well, that's usually a good way to tell, which is anytime you're afraid to open a bill, there's rent-seeking monopolies uh, using government power at your expense, you know. <laughs> You know, like when, I, right, when well, I order at a restaurant, I don't sit there and say, oh, my God, $11 for a burger and fries. Oh, I can't. Oh, it's horrible. Right? Because restaurants are pretty competitive, right? I mean, but anytime it's just like, oh, I'm afraid to open my cell phone bill or, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't want to. You know, like anytime you're just afraid of the envelope or afraid of the email with your bill attached to it or anytime you get the bill and it's like, the fuck can it be this much, right? Which I go through on a fairly regular basis. Uh, then you just know there's just, you know, state-sucking corporate toadies uh, rent-seeking at your expense. Hmm. Yeah, well, I only bring up this thing because uh, it seems, like, really important to Canadians, and they always, like, talk about it. So, you know, it's it's 
I couldn't find this out on my own just doing the research. So I just want it out there. Like I want people to know about it. Like people listening. Like you know, like this is the reason. <laughs> like I want that information out there so people can, like, you know, get it. Well, what do you want them to get though? Like, what is the main reason for the uh, the high prices in Canada for the cell phone bills? Like, that's that's the question. So that's why I want it out there. And why do you want them to know that? So that they won't keep blaming it on the cell phone companies when it is not, if that's the answer to the question. Okay, so the idea is to not confuse that for for the free market, right? Yeah. Like, I don't want people to think that government is the solution, which is like, when I read articles, that's all they talk about. It's just like, oh, there isn't enough government oversight on this particular thing. That's the reason. So we need more of government oversight. Like, I don't want that to be in the minds of the people because then you get, you know, the perpetual government, like, coming to save the day when they're the problem, you know? Like, I don't oh, want yeah, that. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, just, just say, well, it's, you know, you can ask people, what, you know, what oversight does the government have already? And if they don't know, then they are not knowledgeable and shouldn't talk about stuff, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. You know, that's this is, it's important. You know, if, yeah, just, you know, libertarians, you, you can go a long way. And I try to remind myself, God knows I'm not perfect, right? I'm a chatterbox head. But, uh, but generally, I would, you know, say, okay, oh, you, so you think that you need more government regulation. Well, how much government regulation is there already, right? You know, like, I don't want the blind guy putting a ladle of jam saying you need more jam. It's like, how much jam is there already? And then you can tell me, right? And all of that kind of stuff. And it is, uh, uh, most people, they don't have a clue. I mean, most people, they don't have a clue. They're just, they're just saying something that they heard somewhere. Or that's, oh, yeah, I've heard that, you know, regulation is good. You know, like, you know, like, they always say this, you don't want the dog-eat-dog unregulated uh, free market, right? It's like... What does that mean? Is you, you don't want the unregulated dating market or marriage market, you know? Uh, you don't want unregulated uh, um, sexual partners. It's like, I, I kind of do, you know? <laughs> I really, really kind of do want an unregulated market where I can choose, I, you know? You don't want your choice of restaurants to be dog-eat-dog unregulated, right? It's like, well, I don't want to eat a dog. I know that, so I won't go to a restaurant that serves one. But I kind of do want things to be unregulated in my life. I kind of appreciate being able to choose my own wife and my own friends and my own profession. So, yeah, unregulated is uncoerced. I, I'm I'm a big fan of that. But uh, it is um, uh, it is just one of these keywords, and then people have just heard that a lot. And uh, because of the way they're raised, they just think, well, without parents, kids just run wild and blah, blah, blah. This is why we need regulation and all that kind of stuff. So, right, uh, Do you know where to find this sort of information? Like where, where to find like how many regulations are in a particular market? Or is that like a huge thing that is too difficult to figure out? No, <clears throat> I think it's um, – uh, I think that you can find it. I mean a, a useful way to do it is you can just do – CRTC Libertarian. And then what you'll find is Libertarian critiques of the, uh, the CRTC. And they, they okay. usually will have done. You can go to reason.com or, or uh, you know, Mises.org or Mises.ca. And you just do a search for Libertarian and then some topic. And, you know, it may not be the final answer, probably isn't, but at least will give you some counterbalance to what's in the, 
yeah. what's in the mainstream. All right. Well, thank you for answering my question. You're very welcome. All right, Eric. Go ahead, Eric. You're up next. Hi, Stefan. Uh, I am calling in today uh, mostly uh, just to say that uh, your show really touches me. Um, I came across it, I think, last month. And, you know, I've, I was abused pretty badly. And I, I hear you helping people that, that call in that have been abused. And um, I just, just want to thank you for that first and foremost. Um, it's, you're, uh, welcome. you're doing great. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's brought a tear to my eye on more than one occasion, to be honest. Now, I've come like a really long way myself, and the, the thing that I've noticed, and, the, and I guess what I would ask for help with today is that um, if I'm climbing this mountain of, of overcoming abuse and the, the challenges of the sick society, I've pretty much reached the top, and I'm looking around, and there's nobody. There's, I mean, there's very few people. I know a couple people who are who are pretty well adjusted um, or awake or whatnot, and it's it's just uh, it's difficult. Um, it's difficult having friends when people are more or less asleep, um, wanting to talk about things that are intelligent, and you know not getting not getting anywhere with that. I mean, talk, talking about let's say. Uh, some some genetic condition or something people will just tune out and and it, it i'm wondering is this you know is this part of the abuse that i suffered and i guess i'd probably have to give you some details about that or is this just what it's like growing up in in this world where everything's so messed up it's a it's a great question it's a, obviously a very important question uh, i'm I'm certainly happy to hear more about what happened to you uh, as a child, for which I'm obviously sorry in advance. But I just want to make sure I understand the question more particularly. Do you mean that when you talk about the trauma that you've experienced, that people tune out of that? Or is it a wider topic that you're concerned about? Well, uh, I mean, trauma, sure, people would turn out. That's a good example. But it's like... um, if if I if I go for conversation with depth most of the time, I cannot find anyone to keep up, and um, I guess to talk about some of the abuse, it I have to preface it with something that I found out in the past few years as I and I'm and I'm pretty well recovered and I know that there's going to be a lot of things that I say that happened and you're going to say that it's horrible and I agree it's horrible but I'm. I'm pretty good with where I'm at right now, so I don't feel um, like it's, it, you know, if I had not suffered, I would not have become as sensitive as I am. If I, if, if I'd not have had these things um, to deal with, I wouldn't have um, be, be taking myself as seriously as I do, like you were talking with the caller earlier. So in, in a way, I see it as somewhat of a gift, but let's get to some of the abuse. I had um, a mother who uh, was, was pro- I mean, like probably psychotic or sociopathic. Um, she spanked me. There was yelling. Of course I was circumcised. Um, there was um, a period of time where I didn't want to 
get the vaccines that they were giving to me. I'm 38 now, so this is around 75. Uh, I was born, so in the in the early 70s when the vaccines had lots of heavy metals in them. And I didn't want that. So she took me to the, the mental hospital where she worked and had me strapped down to a table so they could give me the vaccines. I was probably four. It's, um, she would leave me places for a long time, uh, let me run loose in mall, like a mall-like place in a sort of dangerous part of where I grew up. Uh, she divorced my father for almost no reason, married a man who was hitting me two times before uh, she before she actually had the marriage, like in the month or two that they were dating. Yeah. It hit me. Oh, I'm sorry. It'll never happen again. Hit me again. Oh, I'm sorry. And and then all of a sudden I'm walking, you know, to give her away at the wedding (laughs) as a, as a 10 year old. Uh, (laughs) I mean, it's crazy. They moved me out of schools. I was, well, hang on, hang on. So you're right. You know, I'm stopping you now, right? Okay, go. (laughs) Well, you starting to laugh, right? I, I have an idea what's coming, of course. And I, it's not critical. I'm I'm not criticizing at all, right? I'm just you're talking about some some ter- your 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 mom married a guy who was hitting you. Yeah, yeah, and it that's, shows that's pretty ugly stuff, right? Well, it shows her the depth of her sickness that she would do that. Well, can't can't she just be evil? Um, now here's the thing I've, I've come to learn through recent years and through my recovery that in my family, there's a, a genetic, uh, trait or, um, a genetic marker. Nutrigenomic testing is the, is what I'm referring to. And it's, it's relatively new and not well known, but there are many doctors who do it. Um, it's, it's prelevant in the work with autism with Dr. Amy Yasko. And so there's a genetic disorder in our family that has long-term problems with, let's say, heart disease, but overall it will make the person more susceptible to uh, fungal infection or viral infections such as Candida or Epstein-Barr, which can both have effects on the mood. Um, And it also does some things with GABA and glutamate um, cycles in the body where I'm sure I've lost a lot of people, so I'll just say that GABA is a relaxing neurotransmitter and glutamine is a stimulatory one. And if your body can't make the GABA, you will go into relentless biomechanical overdrive. And a lot of the attention deficit disorder diagnoses, which I was diagnosed with and given Ritalin for a, a long time, are related to this this type of function. I can't say all of them, but I think a lot of them are. So... Um, you know, the ch- she was untreated, and I know that she had the, the coating on the tongue from the candida and uh, also chronic fatigue or a.k.a. Epstein-Barr. So she had a lot of things that were weighing her down. Now, I know, I'm not trying to excuse her, but I know from my own personal experience that when, I, when I've had problems with these, these issues and I, um, I've been not as nice a person, and when... I am feeling better and have these uh, this this genetic predisposition under control. Um, I'm much more myself. And however, I've never done the horrible things that that. So I'm I'm definitely not excusing her. 
Uh, but I, I do feel sorry for her. And, well, um, sorry. No, no. Technically, that is exactly what you're doing. And it, you may be right. I mean, what? I'm no doctor, right? But hmm. you, 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 you certainly are excusing her because when I talked about immorality, uh, you talked about medical issues. Sure. Yeah. Right. That well, it could I, be genetic that she excuse. married. She could be genetic that she married a man who hit her son. Well, no, it can. These these things can affect her mental. Um, can can affect a person's mental stability heavily. So it could it, it should yeah, it could, you, can but, but come on, man. Contribute I mean, to her poor you, you know, guilt can also do that too. Oh, and guilt was huge with it because they raised me as Catholic. But I mean, that never that never really sunk in. That never really fooled me. And I knew it was bullshit by the time no, I was no, in no, high sorry. school. No, sorry. I don't mean Catholic guilt. <laughs> I don't mean imaginary guilt for Adam and Eve. I'm talking about if you mistreat children, then it makes you feel bad about yourself. It makes you feel guilty, which makes you can make you irritable. Gosh, I, you know, I think she might also be a bit of a soci- sociopath. Which, again, is, is a great word, and I'm not, you know, whatever, right? But that also generally means kind of evil, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've tried to keep her in my life, and this is what I, I like about you, your show, and you're the only person I've ever come in contact that actually, except my last two therapists agreed with me. So maybe, maybe people are coming around. But it, it was about 30 or so. And it was, uh, I had gone back to school and finished my degree and my stepfather and family were there to celebrate. And my stepfather who had had a habit of pointing knives in my face as a child uh, at say like Thanksgiving or Christmas or a- any time. Sorry, the, sorry <laughs> yeah. just interrupt. It's the, it's the stepfather. Is this the man who hit you before your mom got married? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, now he's, you realize you're starting to laugh again, right? It, I I laugh because I can't imagine ever doing anything like this. Yeah, you know. Yeah, they, I can't imagine raping someone, but that doesn't mean that rape is something to laugh about. They do. They they did it like it was normal. I mean, you know. And they and and when when he was hitting me, the response was to send me to Alatine so I could talk to teens who were abused. Well, okay. So, but let's go back to. Yeah. You say he put a knife in your face. What do, What do you mean? Oh, like a typical uh, holiday dinner would involve some elaborate, uh, you know, roast or prime rib or something, you know, that he would spend a lot of time, you know, preparing to entertain. And there would be, you know, just a very well laid out table. And, you know, invariably something would happen. Like I would, let's say he'd be carving the, the meal to serve and I would have my elbow on the table. And, you know, immediately the, the big knife would be in my face and he'd be screaming at me about how I'm ruining dinner with my freaking elbows on the table. But, you know, he wasn't saying freaking. Right, right. So <laughs> pointing a knife in a child's face and screaming, that's not ruining dinner. But no, no, now, that's do, not... you, do you believe that he had a genetic and or medical condition that provide excuses for this behavior? No, I don't. I don't know. His, I know he was abused as a child. I, I tend to, I tend to, like, if I'm going to come up with an excuse for him, I tend to think that neither my, my mother or my stepfather or my father were smart enough or had the resources 
or help available to them to overcome the abuses that they suffer. Well, hang on, hang on. Okay, sorry to interrupt, but so they, I mean, if there's some involuntary aspect to their abuse, which I think what you're saying, like if somebody has an epileptic attack and thwacks someone else, that's not the same as assault, right? Because there's an involuntary no, they've just, aspect they've just, to what they're it's doing. It's what they learned. What I'm saying is it's, it's what they no, I, learned. I understand that. I understand a, that. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me, let me finish view. my thought. Let me finish my thought. Yes, sir. So if, if there was an involuntary aspect, in other words, a medical basis for their abuses, then they must have done it in public. They must have done it at times, like around policemen. They must have been abusive around teachers because it's involuntary, right? Uh, yeah. And I so I guess my question is, that this is the fundamental question, is were they in control of their behavior to the point where the abuse was kept secret? Or was it known to teachers, known to priests, known to uh, yeah, well, police you know, or the, whoever, right? Here's the extent of the sickness of society because it, they did a no, pretty no, good this job is, of keeping sorry, it so the, Sorry, just, just before I, I know this is part of answering the question, but I just did, – did they do it in, in situations where other people could observe it? I, when I ended up going into school with, you know, bruises on my face or all freaked out from, you know, some altercation with the stepfather and first thing in the morning, uh, the school became aware of it. And I had talked, of course, to my school counselor about it. And they, for some strange reason, she was gone the next year. Um, you know, I think she wanted to do my school counselor, I think she wanted to do something about the abuse and it was a, it was a Catholic high school and the, the, the priest who ran the school knew about it. And the, the okay, sorry, listen, man, listen, you're not answering my question. Yeah. Okay. This is kind of a yes or no question. Did your mother and stepmother abuse you in situations where people in authority could have possibly inflicted negative results on them? No, 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 they tried. He definitely would not hit me in public when I mean, the man is a coward. So. okay, All right. So so if if the behavior can be controlled, it cannot be because of history or genetics or anything like that. You know, I can't like I can't like I had cancer this summer, right? I couldn't sit there and say, "Well, I'm in front of my doctor, so I'm going to will my cancer away." I see what you know, I'm if doing. if you put child abuse into the category of medical issues, it's kind of insulting to people who've actually had medical issues. I because see. I this see what is I'm doing chosen there. behavior, right? I, I, there's like this for some reason. There's this, even though I myself don't act that way, and and I learned different ways to uh, to act, I still make an excuse for them for some reason. Well, we know the reason, right? But a guy who's missing his arm can't regrow his arm when he really needs it. Mm. I mean, the arm's gone. Right? There's no faith healer who regrows arms, right? And there's no, whoa, wow, I needed to catch something. I needed to catch a fly ball, so I grew that arm, and then it vanished again, right? But I know why, and you know why. You provide excuses to abusers. We already talked about that in this show. I right? disowned them. I disowned them when I was 33 when he was pointing no, knives. No, we're not talking about disowning them just now. Right? We're talking about moral clarity. 
which is really what I think a lot of these shows are about when it comes to childhood, right? So why do you provide excuses? I think it's something that I've I've heard a lot. Um, I heard it from them, like uh, my mother would make excuses for the stepfather saying, you know, he had a rough life. Um, some therapist would say, you know, everybody does the best that they can if they don't know how to how to do Wait, better. Sorry, then... everybody does the best that they can. Who said that? Your yeah. parents? Um, a therapist. Okay, but but look, look, wait, wait. If everybody does the best that they can, then you should never punish a child because the child is doing the best that that he can, right? Yeah, it's 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 a very interesting uh, thought that that therapist had. Interesting. I was I was against it. Wait, wait, wait. I was I'm just pointing it. out a fundamental hypocrisy, and you're saying it's interesting. I was against it when she said it. I was I was like, you're just making excuses for them. Um, but I've heard, I've heard it's like, it's a very common thing. So I think if there, I must've seen it and of course it's not... a common thing. Why is it a common thing? Because society is pretty messed up because there are so many abusers out there. Yeah. And abusers have much more incentive to screw with everyone's moral clarity than anyone else. Right. Yeah. When good people create moral clarity, they draw the ire of abusers, right? That's and when so so even good people don't have much incentive for moral clarity, right? Like you say, your your two therapists were. I assume your two therapists were secretly around. Like, well, you're okay if your parents are abusive, maybe you don't have to see them, right? Um, well, I I had I had got I cut things off with them after that that as an adult when he was pointing knives at me at the at the family dinner as I graduated college, I cu we cut things off because it was just it was making me crazy. I was going to hurt him. Now that I'm big, um, it was either like get this guy away from me or you know I'm I'm going to hurt him. Uh, and and at that point, I had a lot of anger that I I've since dealt with. Um, so, yeah. Now I now I don't think. But so so the the last. The oh, last but sorry. If you've dealt I'm with look, about... look. Sorry to interrupt you. I'm sorry to interrupt you. If you've dealt with the anger, I don't understand the laughter. I don't understand the convoluted excuses, and I don't understand the lack of emotion when a fundamental hypocrisy is pointed out. That strikes me more like dissociation than it does integration. I'm sure there's there's some association but i don't have i don't spend a lot of my time upset about the person and i don't when i think about him i don't uh when he when he passes through my mind i don't necessarily wish him uh bad like i used to i used to have obsessive thoughts about you know uh revenge or you know hoping he would get his so i i think i've forgiven and uh even even if that forgiveness has come about in some for some convoluted ways, um, it, I think that whatever forgiveness has come is given. Oh, me a okay. Sorry. Bit so, so your peace. your idea is that your choice is either sort of stew in hatred or forgive, because that's usually the dichotomy that is offered to abuse victims. You know, like you can stay angry it. and you can stew in your hatred and you can seethe and you can wish for vengeance and you can pick at these mental sores forever, or 
you can forgive. I've read, and I've heard that, and I read a book. Um, I, I'm not going to say which name of the book because I, I didn't think it was that great, but I, I read a book about forgiveness. It's one of the most popular ones out there. And it, I, I'm letting go of a lot of that stuff that was negative, negative feelings about it has, I mean, has made room for, for better, you know, headspace for myself. So I, I don't know what, what can I say? I, I'm not, I'm not very angry about the person what like we're talking about him and I don't, you're laughing don't, about your childhood abuse. Yeah, because it's one way that, you know, people deal with uncomfortable, uh, talking about uncomfortable things. Let me say this again. You're laughing about being beaten. You're laughing about having knives pushed in your face. You're laughing about these things. There was, there Does, was that strike you? Does that strike you as There's... the end of the journey of integration of your childhood experiences? Is that the best that can be done? What do good people um, no, think when you stop. laugh about child abuse? I'm never going to stop working on this stuff, obviously. Uh, but I'm, I'm doing great for myself, um, for, how, for how, I've been, how bad, how difficult it's been. I, I agree that I'm never going to stop working on it. The laughing, you know, I don't talk about this stuff a lot. So I, I realize it's, it's completely horrible. Um, I realize that it's not only is it completely horrible, but this sort of abuse is widespread and incredibly more widespread than most people would care to even discuss. Um, so I, I'm, I know that I'm not alone in, in abuse. Well, I'm certainly not going to tell you that you have a problem if you don't believe you have a problem because that's denying your I'm genuine sure. experience of where you are. So don't let me sway you as far as that goes. Is there a specific question that I can help you with? Well, there, there's, there's a bit about the, about the, the loneliness of having, you know, worked on all this stuff that a lot of people don't work on. I mean, I've, I've had therapy. I've, um, you know, radically changed my diet. I've become a, a certified yoga instructor. God, there's just like so so much work. I've, I studied Advaita Vedanta. That was something that I, I called in thinking we could talk about, um, or not non-dualism for, for the past three years. I, I was involved in, I attracted, see, like the loneliness thing, there's a, there's an, the, the people that I tend to attract are also injured or hurt and also abusive. And that's, and that's sort of, and then when I realized that they're abusive, like my one of my previous teachers and the, the guy who trained me, um, I tend to cut them off. So I, I don't end up with having a lot of a lot of friends, and it's just very frustrating. I feel like the the abuse of my childhood has sort of put me in this mode where I am more vulnerable to being duped by evil or sociopaths or whatnot. So, uh, Well, again, you're saying that's causal, right? So you're saying that if you've had an abusive childhood, then you are more susceptible to it uh, seems bringing that abusers way. into your life? It seems that way. Now, from a non-dualistic standpoint, that's, 
that's completely nonsense because there would be no cause or effect. But man, they, there's just. I mean, I, I that doesn't happen to me. Right. I mean, I had a bad childhood and it doesn't happen to me that I don't have abusers. You don't you don't run into them? Was there a time? I mean, I don't did... know. I, I I don't I certainly don't have any in my life and I don't have them trying to get into my life and I don't have them in contact with me and okay. so no. So there's something there that I need to to get to to stop that. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. And I'd like to help you with that if you'd like. Yeah, that would be amazing. Um, I mean, I'm, you're, just talking to you is helping already, so. Okay, but then, you know, I'm happy to do it. I'll just ask something, which is try, try not to fight me in the conversation. Afterwards, you can think I'm an idiot or a jerk or what, and completely wrong. But just during the conversation, try not to fight me too much. <laughs> it doesn't mean okay. don't have an identity or anything, but I'm going to say things that are probably going to go against your sensibilities. And then, but uh, if we fight every sentence, then we'll never finish. But if I can make the case and then you can mull it over, I think that would be helpful if that's all right. Okay. You have abuses in your life because you're still making excuses for abusers. And they sense that. They know that. Right, they know that, that you can be treated unbelievably badly in a criminal fashion. You cannot threaten children with knives and scream at them while pointing a knife at them. You know, try that with your wife. You will go to jail. That is illegal. That is illegal. He is a criminal. I know. And your mother aids and abets that criminality and in fact created the conditions for that criminality, I assume she saw this behavior. Oh, and yeah. And not course. only did not protect you from it, but put you in that goddamn situation to begin with. Yeah, every, almost every incident, almost every incident, the knives, the, the hitting, all occurred in front of her. It was in front of her, right? All, all of it. All of it. Almost. Right. There's only, there were only two occasions or three occasions in my entire life where he ever did anything to me when she wasn't present. Right. So he felt perfectly safe acting this kind of way in front of your mother because not only did, and I hate to put it this crudely, not only did she not turn him into the police, but she'd still fuck him, right? I, I, gosh, I, I, I imagine they had a sex life. <laughs> yeah, I imagine Right? Who knows? It might have turned her on. That's... I don't know. But what I'm saying is that she had sex with the guy who stuck a knife in your face. Like, not only did she not protect you, not only did she bring this man into your life, but she probably gave him blowjobs too. Like, she yeah. rewarded him with this behavior in the house. Yeah, that's so horrible. This is what I'm talking about when you, you laugh. And again, please understand, I'm not criticizing you for laughing. I'm not saying it's bad or wrong or anything like that. But what I'm saying is that abusers understand all of this innately. 
It's one thing to fail to protect someone. It's another thing to hire their hitman, like the hitman, right? Yeah. And she was rewarding him with physical intimacy, with sex, when he was doing this stuff. It's right. It's it's horrible, and I guess it's no wonder that I've had a, a difficult love life because I think my my framework for what healthy relationships are have been has been uh, you know trashed. But I've never done anything. Well, no, no, no. You see, bad. you're no, no, and I appreciate like that. This. And I look, I'm not saying that you're wrong, and I'm I'm sorry to interrupt, and I'm sorry to to try and and work at these these kinds of corrections. Go for it. But the reason, like, if you touch, if you touch a hot stove repeatedly, it doesn't make much sense to say, "I touch a hove, uh, I touch a hot stove repeatedly because I touched a hot stove repeatedly in the past." Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. Right, so saying I am susceptible to abuse because I was abused is like saying I want to touch hot stoves because I was touched with hot stoves or touched with something hot. God, where do this like I want to get into another car crash because I was in a car crash. When you I am susceptible to I'm a bright person because I had frostbite. It's complete nonsense, but there it is in, coming out of my mouth. Like, and no, and I look, and for... I understand that. And, and look, this is the what you're saying is the common parlance. So I don't fault you at all for saying it. I hope you understand that. I'm not saying, well, that's stupid. Yeah, it's not. It's a, this is what people believe. They believe that because we've been exposed to evil, we are susceptible to evil. But it's not because we've been exposed to evil that we are susceptible to evil. It's because we are not allowed to call it by its proper name, which will make us defensive and defend against it. We are not allowed to call evil by its correct, proper, accurate name. Therefore, we are susceptible to it. We are supposed to call poison medicine, and we wonder why we're always sick. Yeah, the medicine that they put me on... uh ridiculous uh, there's alternatives now um to that i want to i want to say this if i can because i think it's important to your listeners but they could um they could get nutrigenomic testing or a spectra cell test or something if if they have you know chronic depression or something um and they might find you know doctors that are are trained in those things, good doctors, not just doctors who want to stuff a pill down their throat, but doctors who understand the genetics at the um, American College for Advancement of Medicine or uh, ACAMnet.org. It's like, it's just a resource that, you know, I'm not associated with them in any way. I just think that if, if there's people out there like me that had a genetic predisposition or something and and they're they're looking for help they should they should be in therapy but i think okay let's get back i appreciate that appreciate the uh, commercial but let's get back to to the topic at hand so let me tell you one of the great secrets of what's called culture 
Okay. This is a general rule that I really want you to try taking to heart, which is all that makes you susceptible to abuse was designed by abusers. All that makes you susceptible or all that leaves you susceptible to evil is designed by evil people. So if you have been pursuing what is called good mental health practices and you have ended up still susceptible to evil, it's possible that those good mental health practices are actually designed by evil people. I haven't seen a yoga studio without, and I've been in yoga for years now in America, like seven years. I have not seen one that wasn't in some way abusive to, and most often the female uh, students. I just haven't seen it. Well, the one where I trained at, which is very well known and is world famous, um, his, his some of his students are some of the biggest names in yoga. But I won't I won't say any more than that. Um, there were like proteges were, uh, and I was friends with a lot of the girls, so I knew um, like proteges of his were sleeping with multiples of of the girls and lying to them about it. And when they'd find out about it, they'd get upset and come talk to me and you know these girls were were being hurt by this uh, it wasn't like well look i mean this would some... not be the first eastern mystical practice yeah. that exploited sexuality come on i mean the kama well, his... sutra didn't fall out of a crackerjack box right his teacher was also accused of this sort of thing so so okay so let's let's go back to again uh you you're trying to <laughs> It manfully draw me off course, which is fine, but let's let's keep going, if that's all right. Okay, yes. So you have been told that there's a false dichotomy, which is called seething in hatred or forgiveness, because that's what you said, right? So I said, um, you said, well, I'm not really that angry. I don't think about them Dutch anymore, uh, and, and so on, right? When I said, sort of questioned the forgiveness thing. Yeah. But these and are not the true. only two options. Because if you if you remain stewed in anger and hatred towards abusers, then that can only be because you're still around them, right? Right. Right? I mean, I am not scared of a lion when I'm safe at home, right? If a lion's chasing me, I'm scared of the lion, and I may sort of have some dreams about it or whatever, but... If I'm stuck in the lion cage, I'm going to remain scared of the lion, right? So when we remain angry at people who are abusing us, it's because unrepentant abusers must still be around us, right? So that's one option. And then if we we end up getting angry at them, now if we're not angry, if we just keep that anger bottled up within ourselves, and we don't speak it to our abusers and we don't stand up for ourselves and we don't demand better treatment and we don't goddamn well demand apologies for prior abuse and expect better behavior and people go into therapy and cleaning their shit up and doing some vaguely decent goddamn stuff in their life. If we never stand up for ourselves, the abusers are happy, right? Now, if we end up with some emotional self-awareness and we get angry at our abusers, right, then Either they have to repent and be better people, and who knows what's going to happen if they try that. And anyway, it's too goddamn late. If they could repent and be better people, why the hell didn't they do that when we were kids, right? The moment we initiate it, they're fucked, right? The moment we initiate confrontation with abusers, everything they do after that is a strategy, right? It's like the guy who confesses when he's caught. (laughs) Well, 
He's caught. <laughs> it's just a strategy, right? The guy who bursts yeah. into tears when we confront him on something bad. That's just a strategy. Because if he felt bad about something, he would have done something about it. He wouldn't have waited for us, right? So if people abuse us for a long time, and then we stand up and we get angry, right? What's their second line of defense? First line of defense is to ignore everything completely and to ridicule us for anything we experience that's real or to, to poo-poo it or to, right? Which is what happened to the first caller, right? That's and the first line of defense me. is minimization for abusers. What is that's the second my, line my of defense? my mother would do in the past. Um, it would right. probably now, if be... you keep pushing, what's the second line of defense? Um, with When I've pushed my mother, she would uh, go into some sort of victim mode and try to try to make me out to be um, abusive to her or to get me to right. feel sorry for her. So I would like there's a triangle of, you know, victim, villain, hero. She would like always go into that if I pressed anything. Right. OK, so she tries the victim role, which is now to turn you into the abusers into the abusers role. And if that doesn't hero. work, what does society tell you to do? Um, people in society have always told me when I tell them that I don't speak with my parents anymore, they're like, oh, that's your mother. She gave birth to you. You should, uh, you know, you should really try to patch things up with her and forgive her. Right. Yeah, and exactly. Right. Now that is, I'll call it the second. I'm not sure where your mom's I'm a victim defense fits in, but it's another way of minimizing your feelings for sure. Right. And focusing your feelings on her. The, the, the second line, first line of defense is to minimize the second line of defense is, you must forgive me. Right? Mm -hmm. Or you must forgive your parents. Or you must forgive your teachers. Or you must forgive whoever abused you. And, uh, you know, if they're truly and my a, question a, has a always been, first of all, if, if... I'm sorry, go ahead. If they're truly a sociopath, they'll play on that, get you to forgive them, and then continue doing what they want to do anyway. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is that if they're a sociopath, if they're evil, they won't play on that. They will invent that. That will become a social standard. That Abusers want to abuse standard. you and keep you around. They, they want to hurt you and they want you to stay. Those are the two things that are common to abusers. Now, if you never get upset about the abuse, then you'll stay, right? If you get upset about the abuse, you will leave unless they can convince you to forgive them. And what is the point of forgiveness? Forgiveness is just another kind of minimization. Forgiveness is basically, I want to be treated as if I didn't abuse you. That's what forgiveness is, when it's not earned, right? Forgiveness is treat me like I didn't abuse you, right? So if I steal $1,000 from you and I want you to forgive me, what I'm saying is I want you to treat me as if I never stole $1,000 from you, right? Yeah. Which is another form of minimization. The champions of forgiveness in the in the therapy world say that you know if if you're if you're walking around with a lot of hate in your heart, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. I'm sure you've heard that. Well, but my question is, why are you still feeling hatred if you're not in the environment anymore? 
Well, right? like so I said if earlier, you can get no. away from your abusers, then your anger has served its purpose, which is to get you out of a dangerous situation. Right? The fight or flight mechanism is designed to get you to safety, right? Mm-hmm. I guess now forgiveness been... blunts that. Because it says you must will safety where there is no safety. Right? In other words, it hasn't been a long process of restitution and apologies and therapy and whatever. I don't know if there's any restitution possible for an abusive childhood, but I don't know what, right? Right, so well, if I steal $1,000 from you, then, then, then I should not say you owe me forgiveness. Because that's stealing something else from you, which is your sense of security and genuine moral out. I'm just stealing more. By demanding forgiveness. Now, maybe I can earn forgiveness if I stole $1,000 from you. I can give you back $10,000. I can go to therapy. I can make apologies. I can be a great friend. I can, whatever, I don't know, whatever changes can occur in life that, that makes, uh, that earns an apology, right? That earns forgiveness. Sorry, that is an apology that earns forgiveness. But the whole point of getting angry is to get you to safety. And if you're angry at unrepentant abusers, your anger is telling you you are not safe in this environment, and it's telling you to get the hell away from that environment. That, so I'm not angry. I don't sort of wake up every morning and say, oh, my parents, and oh, these people when I was a kid. I don't think about them that much anymore because they're not in my life. They can't harm me. I'm not in the lion cage, so I don't have to focus on the lions. I've had a problem. I can focus where on all these other great things in my life. For because years my after anger I've had... got me to safety. Stefan, I had a problem for years after the, like I had physically separated myself from them where I was very angry. Um, and it was almost like a dialogue in my in my mind of um you know, gosh, I'm so angry at them. And then, and as who supported I, I, you in that anger? Um, gosh, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not sure, sure if you I do. understand the question. I bet you, I bet you, nobody supported you in that anger. Oh, the, yeah, I bet no, you, you no, had to hide that question. anger like it was something you were guilty of because people said, "Oh, but she's your mother. She gave you life. You got to patch exactly. things up. She won't live forever. You'll regret it when she's dead. You'll cry on her gravestone. You'll right." People condemned you or put you down or again minimized your anger and your experience. Right? Exactly. Exactly. And when I kind of got over that mental dialogue with them, I noticed that, like, so let's say, my former teacher. Uh, when he did some things that were very manipulative and, and I guess you would say evil, um, I, for a while after I got out of there, I obsessed about him for a while. So that's a, that's a problem too, the, that, that sort of mental dialogue of, of being angry at the, uh, it's like I'm reliving it in my head. Well, sure, and the reason that you're reliving in it is that you're not free of it. And the reason that you're not free of it is you you got to listen to this call back. You came on, you told me terrible stories, you laughed about it, and you made some very sophisticated excuses that most people would not question you about. Mm-hmm. I will and that's why this. this pattern is repeating, and I don't fault you for it because this is where our culture is at. The, the culture is designed by abusive people. 
and it is designed by abusive people so that they can escape the consequences of their crimes. Right? Criminals don't come up with closed-circuit uh, television. Right? Shoplifters don't come up with those little tags that you have to take off clothes. Right? I knew things were sick, but this makes it so much more sick than, it, than like, what I knew. Right, because if you are angry at abusers and everyone is telling you to go back to your abusers, you're still not in a safe place. Do you understand? Because people are still yeah. siding with your abusers. This is why I'm lonely. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> because you're, you're, you're still not out. I'm closer than right. I've ever been, though. I'm closer You're than closer. I absolutely agree. You were closer than you've ever been. And I've been and through that's a, something a to lot. be incredibly proud of. I've been I've been through a lot, and I'm you know I I'm happy with the person I am right now. I feel like you know that I that I've done really well. So that gives me a lot. And you food. have, and you have, and all I'm talking about is. There is a way to not have abusive people in your life. And I need, I need to get that figured out because I'm so tired of – so tired. Well, of yeah. That. I mean you're honest about what's happened to you and if anybody sides with your abusers, get them out. I mean unless it's like they say, oh, you should – and then like maybe an hour or a day later they say, you know what? I, I thought about that. I basically told you to reconnect with people who did you the most harm possible. Like, can you imagine if there was such a thing as a woman's, a battered woman's shelter whose main purpose was to reunite the battered women with their abusive husbands? Well, you got to forgive him. You got to go back. He's been under a lot of stress lately. He might have Epstein Barr. He had a bad childhood. You've got to go back. Yeah, you're right. It's ridiculous. Would a woman be safe if she was in that environment? No. 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 And children aren't safe. And I mean, and they'll take out restraining orders against these guys. They'll have the cops pick them up. They'll get them thrown in jail. That's how much they want to guy. keep these women safe from their abusers, right? I think it's worse because I'm a guy, actually. No, I agree. Because, like, I agree. The, I, and I and in one of my favorite talks that you had was how to break a man's heart or something like that. It was excellent. How a, how a man's heart is murdered. Yeah, of course. You're supposed to yeah. be there for the utility of everyone else. You're supposed to dig their ditches and clean the snow off their driveway and repave their. Street sidewalks and fix the roof and man the boy. You're not supposed to have your own preferences, needs, and emotions that are inconvenient to others. You're a guy. You're a toy soldier. And I'm actually. And I'm. But I'm. I want you. <laughs> I, I want the security that your heart needs to be taken very seriously by you. It will. I'm, and I'm the false trap of forgiveness, forgiveness is not something you can will. You cannot scream at your dick until it gives you an erection, and you cannot command your heart till it forgives people. Forgiveness is something that is earned. It's like love. It is something that is earned. It's like money. 
And people who tell you to forgive abusers are abusers, or certainly in line with abusers, because it just serves their needs. And the first thing they should be doing is they should be going to women's shelters and saying that the job of the women's shelter should be to get the woman back into the abusive household as quickly as possible. Because that's her husband. He supported her. He paid her bills. He put a roof over her head. He gave her food. She owes him. Can you imagine that argument? Can you imagine how offensive that argument would be? Well, it lets me know. To women and to anyone with any decent moral sensitivity? My last couple therapists well, and my brother are all against me talking to my parents. So I've had three good, solid, you know, resources, and now you're the the fourth. <laughs> the the fourth. It's. It, I wish there were more people with common sense. Well, it's just consistency, right? I mean, people get upset at me about this stuff, which, frankly, I could give a shit about. But it's just about consistency. I was you know always I told. I was always told, do not be in abusive relationships. I was told that with uh, all my mom and her friends who, who ditched their boring or underperforming or abusive husbands, and everybody cheered them. You go, girl, liberation, female power. I was told not to be in gangs where the kids were mean. I was saying, don't hang out with the wrong crowd. Turns out the wrong crowd was the one around me in the hospital room on day one. I was told not to be in violent gangs. Well, turns out that that was much more biology than sociology. It's 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 like the one thing you said another and another con thing that really hit home with me was that I will never get the I will never find a replacement for the the loving mother that I should have had. And I've realized that I'd been looking for that in relationships a lot and that 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 wasn't healthy. I mean, that was amazing, um, an amazing realization. And it seems like common sense after the fact. But when you're all confused and hurt and everything, it doesn't working on damaged emotions. It doesn't doesn't make sense. Yeah, look, I mean, I think, I think we all know what the reality is, basically. Uh, ethics get pretty fuzzy when women's needs are involved, right? Because, you know, we all have moms and we all had female teachers. We're just used to complying with women's needs. Oh, this, right? we, the, uh, we're just used to, and I don't just mean men. We're all used to complying with women's needs. There's a lot of and double so, fucking standards. Sorry, go ahead. There's yeah, a lot yeah, of double fucking stuff. Like, okay, it's if it happens to a girl, it's it's female genital mutilation. If it happens to a boy, it's circumcision. I'm so glad you swore. <laughs> I'm so glad you swore. How wonderful. That's great. Coming yeah. back to life. Right. So look, I mean, it's it's okay for an entire generation of women to ditch husbands they don't really like. Right, so voluntarism for women in their relationships, oh, that's great. You Kramer versus Kramer, you know, Meryl Streep ditches Dustin Hoffman's character for no reason. He's not an abuser. He's not a drunk. He, you know, she just wants to go find herself, so she abandons her kid. 
I watched that movie like when I was dead broke. I scraped together the money, watched that movie three times when I was a kid, trying to figure it out. The fuck is going on? Oh, okay. So if you're just dissatisfied in your relationships, you can just take off even if there's a dependent kid involved and you're still kind of a heroine. So women, uh, women are like, well, we want to get divorced. We're dissatisfied. And society's like, oh, okay, well, we serve women. So, okay, uh, yeah, women who get divorced are, 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 are heroes. And, and single moms are, are heroes. And, yeah, okay, so the fact that we're killing the economy of the welfare state to serve single moms, they're heroes because we serve women. Right? And now I start talking about voluntary relationships <laughs> as adults. Oh, my God. Now women don't want that. Moms don't want that. Abusive moms don't want that. I've seen some of the criticism of the, and it's it's like it's not. I would, I would. It's not even really criticism. It's just garbage. You know, there's. Yeah, but but you see, but that's because now the voluntarism where women didn't like their husbands or wanted something better or wanted hy- to <laughs> have hypogamy their way up the ladder, when women were dissatisfied with their husbands, then dumping their husbands was noble and heroic and self-empowered and this and that, right? But when adult men think about not talking to their moms because their moms are abusive, that's terrible. Yeah, you're uh, what are you? What are you, I saw one of them, they said you're a cult leader. I'm a cult leader, absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. I say things that are nonsense. true. It was the video Yeah, like was I say nonsense. things that are true, such as adult relations are voluntary. Well, that's actually a fact. <laughs> right? But if you say things that are true, as true now as in the days of Socrates, what are you accused of? Corrupting the young with facts, <laughs> with truth, with honesty. But we all know the basic reality. Deep down, we know it. That women Have liked it. voluntarism when it served their purposes, and women don't like voluntarism when it costs them. And when it serves their purposes, voluntarism in relationships and dumping relationships you're unhappy with is heroic and independent-minded, and you are a self-starter, and you are finding yourself, and you are girl power, blah de blah Fantastic. Okay, yeah. I listen to that. I accept it. Okay, so then men should have the same right with their moms if they don't like their moms, if their moms are abusive or whatever, and they can't fix the relationship. And my mom well, no, was... Oh, see, suddenly that's terrible. And then everyone, because women's discontent is now radiating out about this concept, so everyone lines up to bash... The podcaster, <laughs> you know, the big problem is not that 80% of moms are hitting their children. Oh, see, that's not the problem. It's that A high. podcaster is the problem. It's 80%? Yeah. In England, 50 to 60% of moms hit their children before their children are one fucking year old. But see, that's not the problem. And we now have studies, I've read them, and the study is just like, I mean, it, it's, it damages the child's brain to hit them. There's of no I mean, of course it does. About it. I mean, There's you put no helmets question. on children, for Christ's sake, in a contact sport known as football. <laughs> I mean, babies don't wear helmets in the contact sport known as parenting. So, I mean, when you look at society's values, so much of it can be traced back to what women want. And we're just so used to providing what women want in this massive patriarchy of ours, right? Yeah. That if women want to leave their husbands, that's great. 
even if those husbands aren't abusive, even if they're just kind of boring, kind of unstimulating. Even so if marriage like... is in a bit of a rut, right? Then, then women are heroes for doing that. But if men decide to leave unsatisfying relationships with their mothers, <gasps> well, suddenly that goes against what women want, and that's really bad, right? But the idea that there's any philosophy behind this other than rank boob fetish woman-pleasing is ridiculous, right? Uh, yeah, I don't think there's very much thought put into most of what our society has. I mean, uh, it's just... It's disgusting. It's disgusting that they that, that it's 2013 and we're still mutilating boys' penises for some fictional covenant, with, or or not just for some you know fiction of of uh, hygiene or something. It's just it's incredible. It's incredible. And when somebody's when somebody's sick, possibly with a diagnosable physical. Thing like like I had, um, you know, a, a problem regulating GABA. They uh, instead give me speed Ritalin as a child, which I'll tell you what Ritalin did to me. And it, it tightened up my my. It, it affects your kidneys and your adrenaline glands and your fight or flight. And but but that's common knowledge. But what they don't tell you is that you. Your kidneys are energetically in the Chinese meridian system, acupuncture, which is not nonsense, are linked to your psoas muscles. And if your psoas muscles get weak from being on too much stimulants, you're going to have low back pain. And I had low back pain when I was 12, and I didn't correct it until recently. And before I could correct it, I ended up having a yeah, back Yeah, you are surgery. not allowed any more medical filibusters. I'm sorry about that, but <laughs> I can't let you dissociate my listeners with this stuff because we're talking about something a bit more meaty, and I certainly do not mean to dismiss sorry, the medical sorry. issues that you had out of inappropriate medication, but the medical filibusters probably aren't very good for uh, most people staying in contact with what we're, we're talking so, about. I guess that's probably... And I understand that, right? I understand that, but you stay with your gut. You know, forget about your liver for a sec. So I guess that's part of my problem is that I tend to I can tend to go off on onto <laughs> technical like scientific. You think? I, I could use, yeah, and people just don't get it. Like I'm I'm I know that I'm very gifted in terms of um, science, and school was always very easy for me. So maybe that's part of my issue. Well, no, it's it's a way of of. Um, People don't want to confront you on that because maybe they feel like they're not able to follow, but or maybe it's just it's kind of a you know we're having a kind of heart to heart here, right? And going yeah. off on this medical stuff is uh, a way of staying away from the connection that we as two guys talking about our histories can have, right? I see that too, and I probably do that because that's probably what what would happen when I was young if I ever talked about something that was heart related it would probably be very quickly uh moved to a different realm because it would have been well but in this case you're moving it right and so if you're saying that you yeah. feel lonely resist the urge to use latin <laughs> or, or yeah. any body part uh, that's not a single syllable uh, just try and avoid that stuff in my in my suggestion but look i mean and and I mean, I'm going to get, obviously, the endless, oh, he's anti-female and so on, which is all just another bit of nonsense. 
Um, but the reality is no, I want women like to be a lot women. happier. I, I hear you uh, talk I'll, I'll, all the time about wife and your child. You love women. Well, so, those are two, uh, <laughs> right? You know, uh, I certainly have some great female friends, but uh, one of whom is building, um, a studio for us. But, uh, it is, uh, I, I want women to be happier. I, I really do. I, I, Look, I don't think women are happy screaming at their kids and hitting their kids and and not spending time with their kids. And I don't think women are happy getting divorced. And I think fundamentally that's just, you know, sometimes you have to gently take away the weapon from the blind shooter. And uh, this is just bad stuff. And and either women accept the voluntarism in the parent-child relationship when the child becomes an adult or women as a whole owe a massive apology to my father's generation. It's all recent. This is this is literally like the last few generations that this has come about. That's that's factual, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. And we can see well, what no, it's but, done. But to... look, men serving the needs of women has been. I mean, that's almost all animals, right? <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. all. I mean that that giant peacock ass tail doesn't he doesn't drag that around because he's you know. A disco fan of Liberace, he does that to show his value to women. And the birds who build those little beautiful boy birds who build those little beautiful nests to attract the girl birds, they do that, right? And the fact that men have 40% more upper body strength is because we all were out there slaving to, to bring bacon and cheeseburgers to women. And the, the men who are in the Arctic uh, among the Inuit uh, out in a tiny little boat throwing a toothpick up the ass of a sperm whale, they're doing that because they need to bring blubber back for the babies. Yeah. It's not like men are the slaves of women. I don't understand what I mean. But historically, men who did not conform to what women wanted didn't get selected as mates. And therefore we have a very strong psychological predisposition to identify what women want and provide it to them, right? I mean, this is why men developed labor-saving devices for women so they wouldn't have to do quite as much laundry before they developed masks to keep men from dying from black lung in the coal mines. That's actually historically true. Labor-saving devices were provided to women before safety devices were provided to the men who were laboring to provide the energy to the women, right? And women are like, oh, you want to go into the workforce? Okay, we'll, we'll do that, right? Uh, oh, you, you want more uh, access to higher education? Okay, we'll do that. This is just the way that we evolved as a species, as, as a whole genus. I mean, it, providing what women want is, is how you get to pair bond. And so we have this instinct to provide what women want. And, and unfortunately, we then call it philosophy when it's just trying to get laid. But it's not, uh, you know, it's not a sensible way to run a society. It seems to me the media and the, the big companies and everything that call the shots have been playing on this for a while. And that's maybe why the women's lib thing came along. And maybe they figured out that if they could get single moms, you know, if they could break up families, that it would... Uh, feminize men and make them more easy to control and, and, and I don't, I well, don't there's know. some of that but of course I mean feminism had I mean is, is a kind of a government program right I mean and you could yeah. look up the CIA funded Gloria Steinem and, and a lot of the early feminists received massive amounts of government money some of it quite clandestine here in Canada, feminist groups have received $300 million over the last decade or two. Uh, it's, it's a government program. And, of course, it's so highly it's profitable state. for governments to get women out of 
the home and into the workforce because then you can tax the women uh, and you can also tax whoever's taking care of the kids for the most part. So it's just – it's a very profitable enterprise. It's not an ideology. It's just a government program. The whole – like I look at the problem of the of- – of like the world and I'm like, okay, let's say we could give people alternatives and, and, and get more people doing things that weren't as crazy. Then I, then I start looking around and I see like the middle East and I'm like, what the hell do you do with these people who think that, that it's okay to do an honor killing if a woman talks to a man in public or that's not part of her family or something like what, like, like, is there, I can't even imagine any type of hope for people that are that far gone and like in our well, race I mean, in general. Well, I mean, it's not a huge of uh, – it's not a huge amount distant from us in the Middle Ages. I mean, we burned witches and, I mean, all this kind of stuff, right? Uh, and yeah. sent men into the endless fires of war. So anyway, listen, I'm so sorry. We do, of course, have a bunch of other um, – Callers. Uh, we do have a bunch of other callers. I think I can just do one more. It's been been a heck of a long show, but uh, I certainly appreciate your patience with the conversation. You sound you got to listen to this back. You sound worlds apart from when we started, for which I appreciate you having the patience to listen to my harangues and all that. I I think it's uh, it's great work. Please keep up all the good work that you do. I will absolutely listen to it back, and I'm going to keep uh, working on making my life better. And I think listening to your show is a part of that. Thank you. Appreciate that. And uh, for the, somebody who was asking in the chat room, what is the movie? Should watch this movie. Really, it is a. It is. Um, it's called Kramer versus Kramer. That's K R A M E R. Kramer versus Kramer. And it was. Was it Best Picture? I think it was best. It was a huge uh, movie. In 1979, uh, it came out. And it is, uh, I think it's pretty uh, important to to watch it. And um, it is, uh, it's, I mean, it's fantastically well acted. The screenplay is, is really great. Um, the relationship, uh, see, seeing the relationship between the father and the son, I think is very interesting. Yeah, it got Academy Award for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Writing. Uh, nominated for Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress. Meryl Streep won for Best Actress. Uh, it was uh, really, uh, it swept the uh, awards. It is, gen- it is, um, it has, uh, it's in, in everyone's top 100 movies list. Uh, it is really, really essential uh, to to have a look at that and uh, to see just how this uh, 70s feminism, independence, find yourself stuff was portrayed. And it had a huge impact on me and completely informed my views, not just on the family and voluntarism within the family, but on society as a whole. And of course, this woman chose to get married. We don't choose our parents. This woman was never economically and legally dependent on her husband in a permanent, like in a semi-permanent way, but that that is the case with uh, children. So the standards of behavior should be far higher, far higher for marriages than they are for the parent-child relationship. So yeah, it's, it's well worth watching. All right, let's do one more caller if we can, and then I will not. All right, Paul, you're up. Go ahead. Hey, Thanks for your patience, Paul. Sorry. No worries, no worries. 
So my question actually sort of follows from that. Uh, it is about what children are owed. And basically the reason that I have for asking this is whenever I talk about the sort of libertarian or um, voluntaristic interactions, people always bring up children as a counterexample. So at that point, I sort of... I'm sorry, you just dropped off for a sec there. If you could uh, repeat. All right. So basically what I'm asking is what do people owe children? So I guess primarily... Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you keep cutting out. Um, Mike, can you hear him? He's cutting out for me too. Want to try it one more time, Paul? No, I think I got the question. Let's just leave him off because this is the second time. So the question is, uh, what do people owe uh, children? Well, I mean, what we owe any other prisoner we decide to house, right? I mean, if if I decide to house a prisoner, uh, then I owe that prisoner food and medical attention and exercise and blah de blah blah And, of course, if I have signed up to provide them with uh, education, then I owe them education and so on. And so I think that it's, uh, you know, children, my daughter is an involuntary prisoner in my house. She cannot leave. She has no choice about where she lives. She has no choice about who she has as parents. And so she is, and there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it's obviously just the biological reality of it, but she is an involuntary prisoner in my house. And um, my goal, I think the goal of any rational, moral person is to make the house as appealing as possible to the point where if she could choose to be anywhere, she would choose to be here. Uh, that is the only way to remove the prisoner aspect of it, right? So you, you run your prison like the most amazing, fantastical, wonderful hotel that could be imagined. That's how you run your prison. Then it's not a prison anymore, right? So that is, um, uh, that, that I think is, is what is, is necessary. The tragedy, of course, is that the people tend to lower their standards in involuntary situations, right? As the Milgram's experiment where he took half of a college class and made them prisoners and took another half and made them guards, and they wanted to run this experiment, I think, for two weeks, but had to stop it after two or three days because a rampant abuse was breaking out. Or they just did an experiment recently where they coached husbands on agreeing with everything their wife said rather than fighting with them. And they wanted this experiment to run for two weeks, but they had to stop it because the wives were becoming increasingly abusive towards the husbands, uh, even though they didn't know an experiment was going on. And the uh, husband's happiness index plunged from like eight to three out of ten. And uh, so it is really uh, a, uh, a problem. Uh, so uh, it, it's just a... a a recognition that where the choices are the least, our standards must be the highest, and there's no lower choice than than childhood, and therefore our standards need to be the highest. And so that is um, uh, what what parents owe is the very best possible behavior. And if they can't provide it, then they need to find other people who can. All right, thanks. And can I just ask one more question? Sure. All right, then if that isn't provided. Who should be uh, in charge of stepping in? And I guess if these things are neglected in large amounts, who should be in charge of making sure the child has it after that point when the 
parents don't really um, provide what the child needs. Well, I mean, not the state, obviously, because in a free society, there wouldn't be a state. But um, in, in a free society, I mean, people would not generally have children for reasons of welfare, for reasons of psychological deficiency, for reasons of filling a void or a hole in their life, for reasons of replicating the virus meme of, of religion, uh, whatever, right? They wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't have really teen pregnancies, which almost always arise out of abusive situations and so on. So, I mean, there would be not as many unwanted children, so it would be a much smaller issue. And what I think would happen is there would be agencies that would be interested in the welfare of children, which would provide insurance for negative or difficult or problematic behavior from children. And if children were developing badly, then there would be uh, 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 options. You know, you somebody could pay the parents to take the child off their hands, uh, you know, and then those person, people would be vetted to make sure they were going to the right place. Uh, or more significant economic ostracism sanctions could be included and so on. So that would be, uh, uh, I think that would be how it would work. It's hard to say, but it would be such a tiny issue uh, that uh, it's probably not too important to talk about because it's sort of like saying, how does how is polio handled in Canada in the 21st century? It's like, well, it's really not handled because it's just not really there. All right. Well, I definitely hope you're right, and I hope we're heading in that direction. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, let me do one more quick one. Hit me. All right, Patrick, go ahead. Oh, hi, Stefan. Uh, so I guess, yeah, mine would be probably pretty quick, too, because I, I don't intend to say anything that you would probably disagree with. Um, but I, I just had some comments regarding your debate with Walter Block and spanking. And so in particular, what I wanted to focus on was how he was constantly – uh, rebutting you by saying uh, these are utilitarian considerations and they have you know, no no place in this deontological libertarian discussion. And in my view was that that his own premises kind of contradict that that assertion because his justification for this uh, what he called like this right to physically invade against a child uh, he justified it according to two things. He said first that a child has a delimited set of rights, and he compared them to like a person with Alzheimer's or something. And then second, he said, parents have a guardian status kind of embedded in their own child. And he justified this by saying that parents kind of, they homestead the biological antecedents of their own child. So as a result, they have this kind of trustee or guardianship status. <clears throat> and, and then he gave two examples to kind of illustrate his point. And I'll just reiterate, re quickly re reiterate them. And the first one was the urinal example where he, he said he, he used physical force to lift up his son to prevent his genitals from touching the public toilet. And the second one was that suicide bridge scenario. And yeah. in both of them, I mean, he, he kind of used semantic tricks to justify them, in, in my view. So he kept on saying that they would not violate rights or that they would be examples of being a good guardian. Well, being a good guardian means precisely analyzing the context of the physical invasion. So it means what are the motivations of the physical invasion and what are the consequences of the physical invasion? I mean, and he himself admitted this when he said uh, parents, like he, 
at one point you said, well, you can't extend this to, say, spanking on a continual basis. And he responded by saying, well, well, that's just another instance of physical invasion. And then about 10 seconds later, he quickly just said, well, of course, has to be within reason. And I think that's, that kind of shows that he's implicitly making a utilitarian argument here. He's not saying that there's some principle of a parent can just do whatever they want. They can just punch their kid in the face because they like to. He's saying that they have to use, if they use physical, uh, if they physically invade against their child, it is only justified insofar as it is uh, conducive with being a good guardian. So, in other words, he's making a utilitarian argument himself to justify both of these situations. So I think in your argument against spanking, you're following his exact procedure. So I just thought I would contribute that. Yeah, I mean, I may do a full video on this. I mean, I I was baffled by my inability to explain something to him. And because I never assumed that I'm right, I wanted to sort of say, okay, well, let me let me think about this because maybe what I'm saying doesn't make anyone, any sense. If a smart person doesn't understand or really disagrees with what I'm saying, and I've explained it three times, then I kind of have to say, okay, well, I got to think about it some more, right? And and so I did. I guess I did. And I think that his position seemed a little problematic in some ways. So the first thing he did was reject the the utilitarian argument, right? And and said that he doesn't understand or accept morality. There's no such thing as morality. But if it's not a principled argument and it's not a utilitarian argument, then what kind of argument is it? I don't really know. I mean, it's either a bad effects or it is an illogical or immoral principle. But if both of those are thrown out, if, if reason, basically if, if morals and consequences are thrown out, I don't know how we're going to have a discussion about the non-aggression principle or anything like that. And he also said that he, there's no such thing as morality, but then he later said libertarians have a moral requirement to do X. And I didn't really, I mean, that doesn't make much sense to me. Uh, I, I felt that during the debate, I put sort of arguments forward about when you can violate the non-aggression principle so that it's not a non-aggression principle. And he didn't really answer that. He put the scenario up about the, your kid running off a bridge or whatever because he's suicidal. And I really tried to make the point that you as a bad parent are causal in that. You've been such a bad parent, your kid wants to jump off a bridge. So you have to stop them because you've created it. And the analogy would be if I inject you with a disorienting drug and then you stagger towards a cliff edge, clearly I have to stop you because I have caused you or put you in that situation where you're staggering towards that cliff edge because of the disorienting drug I've injected into your body. So saying that I have a lower moral responsibility because I injected you with a drug that is having you stagger towards a cliff edge is not sensible. I, clearly, I have a higher moral responsibility to stop you. If I just see you staggering towards a cliff edge, I don't morally have to stop you. It might be a nice thing to do, but I don't have to do it. But if I've injected you with some drug that makes you stagger towards the cliff edge, I do have to stop you. Otherwise, I'm guilty of murder. I think that's, that's pretty clear, right? And so what happens before that is important in terms of your moral responsibility. But he said it's not important what came before. But when he brought up his libertarian prison guard, like, you know, you're a prison guard, you can kill 90 Jews instead of 100 Jews or whatever. And I said, well, but you're there by coercion. Then he said, well, you volunteered. In other words, what came before is important in his example, right? 
But what came before wasn't important in my example. And that seems, <laughs> I guess, not very consistent. You know, if context is important to understand a moral argument, then you can't arbitrarily say, well, context is really important for my moral argument. He also said that the woman who shot the guy coming in through her window had been raped by someone who looked like him before. In other words, her context is really important. The context of the libertarian prison guard is really important. But then when I bring up that you are responsible for your kid falling because you've been such a bad parent, suddenly my context is not important and can't be used. I think that's not a great way to, <laughs> to, uh, to debate with consistency. Uh, you know, the point about not letting your children touch something that's dangerous, I don't think that's a violation of the non-aggression principle at all. I mean, holding your child so he doesn't touch something that could be germ-infested, yeah, okay, fine. I mean, if the child's old enough, you can talk to them before they go, but that's not, that's not a spanking situation, right? Because I defined spanking at the beginning, which is, you know, the open hand and hitting of a child on the buttocks to elicit a change in behavior through the application of pain. And then his example had nothing to do with spanking, as I defined it. And none of his examples had anything to do with spanking. You know, rapes and libertarian prison guards and, you know, kids wandering off bridges and stuff. I sort of felt like it was like, okay, I guess we're going over here now because obviously the empirical effects of spanking are so bad that it must be a violation of the non-aggression principle. So it seems like we just didn't actually talk about the topic much at all and uh, that's sort of what I pointed out at the end you know like this kid wandering towards the cliff edge or the edge of the bridge or whatever uh, I think it is still I, I still argue and I sort of thought about this afterwards I couldn't come up in the fly with a really good analogy the really good analogies usually uh, make it uh, clear and uh, it doesn't really have anything to do with um, a spanking um, I, I think it the analogy if you inject the guy with a disorienting drug and he wanders towards a cliff edge supports that you have a higher moral standard towards that person. You must intervene because you've caused the situation in the same way as a parent. You must intervene because you have caused the situation by being such a bad parent your kid wants to kill himself. And so I think that uh, the debate was a little confusing to me. And sometimes things are confusing because I don't understand something or I'm in the wrong and I was certainly willing to sort of think about that and admit that, but uh, I do, uh, uh, I, I, those would be sort of my responses to, I don't know if I'll do a separate uh, video on it, uh, but uh, those, does, does that sort of help clarify at least sort of where I'm coming from? There's more, but that's sort of the, the stuff that's, I think, off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, I thought I thought your position was from, or fairly well established in the debate. I just thought that Walter's argument was contradictory because I think what he established himself was that this is not a principle. This physical invasion against a child is not a principle. And this guardianship status, I mean, his whole debate, I think what he kind of made obvious is that it's not about the amount of physical force that you use. It's about the context of how it's used. And and you pointed out an example of this at the very beginning, and he agreed, um, where he talked about that, that the urinal situation. And, and you gave the example, well, if you just, you know, kept on doing it, for like for no reason, like if you just pick up your kid just because you like to make him scream and cry, just ha ha ha, then clearly there's something wrong with that. It, so what what that kind of makes apparent to me is that the context of the situation is what determines whether or not one is acting uh, in line with this kind of guardianship role that he was uh, talking about. Yeah, and the guardianship role has higher moral standards to it, of course. I mean, I can go set fire to my own money, but I can't on money that. 
I'm holding in trust for someone because I have a guardianship role. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I, so basically it was not a debate about the non-aggression principle and spanking. It was a debate about some very incredibly esoteric, weird examples that, you know, are kind of fun to play around with in our heads, but don't really have much to do with the fact that 80 to 90 percent of her parents are repeatedly spanking their children. Uh, and I don't think there's a lot of five-year-olds who try to jump off bridges. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was an interesting academic discussion uh, as far as those can be interesting, but it's uh, it didn't really have much to do with the topic at hand, um, which, you know, may be accidental, may not be. But I think, you know, when you hear the facts, it's pretty hard to be pro-spanking or think that it's not a violation of the non-aggression principle because it has such negative effects on, on children. So anyway, that, that, those are sort of my, my thoughts about it. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And thanks, everyone, for your calls. I guess we are 20 minutes away from Isabella's birthday. But have yourself a great week, everyone. And thank you for all your support and kindness. Uh, and if you would like to show even more support and kindness, or maybe for your very first time, ooh, pop the PayPal cherry. You know you want to. It is fdrurl.com forward slash debate. Have a great week. I'll talk to you Sunday.